Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. And welcome back to Under Review. I'm Greg. He's Steve. And we got a special guest with us today. Um, if any of you have ever posted on the HF board, especially in the Rangers forum, you know him as Edge. Edge, welcome to the show, man. Pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. So uh, give us a quick little um, recap of, of um, how you became a Ranger fan. What's your uh, love for the team? Kind of how that came about. So definitely. So, you know, I am originally from New York. Uh, that was where I was born and raised. Uh, I'm a Queens kid. Uh, come from a, uh, what I, it's almost like coming from a mixed uh, political affiliation household. Uh, I had older siblings who, uh, you know, were right in that coming of age of the Islanders dynasty, whereas I was just beyond that. I, I was too young to remember any of that. And uh, so they grew up Islander fans. Um, my father being from the city, my mom being from the city, were, were Ranger fans. And then uh, I happened to come along at a time in my life where my father was in banking. So, uh, you know, frankly, we, you know, tickets were always available at, at some point. And so, um, you know, probably starting at four or five years old, uh, you know, we would go into the city and, uh, and catch a Ranger game. So I grew up, you know, that was, that was what I was exposed to. And, you know, growing up, I can remember the, you know, the I grew up in the not so great '80s days of you know the Smurfs and uh, you know Bernie Nichols and you know some other superstars who were supposed to help us get to the next level and it never seemed to work every year. Well, um, that's kind of, that's kind of the Rangers' uh, mo for for many years is we get a player you know one or two years too late. And 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 there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, you know when you when you go back if you grew up with those teams it was it was always a Guy Lafleur it was always. Uh, you know, someone who was, if you had him five years sooner, you know, how would it be different? And it's ironic because, you know, when, when people talk about the Rangers glory days of the early to mid 90s, one of the things that they often forget, you know, was, you know, Mark Messier, there was a lot of suspicion about he was going to be one of those guys as well. You know, 30 years old, were his better days behind him. And I can only imagine what, uh, you know, what social media and message boards would have had to say in 1991. Yeah, isn't that isn't that the truth? They would have been filled with lots of hot takes of, uh, you know, oh, here comes another aging superstar, you know, ready to cash in his check in New York and, you know, sail into the sunset and do absolutely nothing. So, but that, you know, it's it's kind of funny when you think about that '94 team. I mean, they they basically went all in for one year, and and that was basically it. Well, that was it. I mean, it's a lot of young talent that was moved. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing some of that now. You know, it's a conversation that comes up with with teams who are right on that cusp. They have this, this large group of young talent, and sometimes you reach a point where you're making trades that on paper don't necessarily, don't necessarily look good, and some would say they don't necessarily hold up to time, but they get the job done if you're looking to win a championship. And you know, I, when we look at teams like the Jets and, and the Lightning and then the Leafs, I think those teams are going to be reaching a point soon where they're going to have to make some of those decisions as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um... So yeah, so fill us in a little bit um, on 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 your background with uh, with the NHL a little bit and how how that kind of carved out. So you know, one of the questions that you know that always gets asked is you know how 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 did you end up in this line of work? So I was a teenager. 
um, there was a summer internship with the New York Rangers Public Relations and Media Relations Department. And I, uh, you know, I applied for it. I got it. And uh, that internship turned into a full-time position, turned into uh, a five-year career there where, you know, I, I got to work with, uh, with, with players, not only on our team, but, you know, across the league. Uh, you get to meet many individuals, became very friendly with, uh, with a lot of the, the members of the scouting staff over the years. And that's because, uh, you know, prior to, to getting into to my line of work, that was where my interest was. I, I loved looking at junior hockey, loved seeing what was going on at, you know, at the lower levels. So hit it off with them. Um, a lot of those friendships now are, are more than two decades old. I mean, you literally having spent time with someone from when you're a teenager to, you know, middle-aged, it's, uh, you know, it's quite an experience. So with that, I, I always had the opportunity to kind of pick their brain, get a feel for what's going on out there. Um, obviously, I have my own opinions. I, I, I do watch a lot of hockey. Um, my work now takes me all over the planet. And uh, you know, so I get to see a lot of that. So, you know, when I get together with them, it's, comparing and contrasting how we might have a similar opinion on a player, might have some different opinions. And then what I try to do is, is relay that back to people who maybe haven't had the opportunity to see some of these kids. Awesome. So, so having said all of that, so um, what is your, I guess, overall arching theme for, for the, for what Gorton has done in the last, let's say 36 months. I think if you were to look at the last 36 months, I, I firmly believe the Rangers have a the largest collection of young talent that they've had in their organization at any point, probably since the early 90s. So you're going back to the days when you had Waite, uh, Doug Waite, Tony Amante, you know, 23-year-old Brian Leach. I think that's probably the only period of time in my lifetime where I can remember as much accumulation of young talent um really what you're seeing is it's a different approach and one that you know it's been it's been said a thousand times but a a lot of ranger fans aren't used to um this is much more of a long game than we've seen in the past this is not something where they are looking to do a quick turnaround and be good enough in two years they want to build the next great team for the 2020s the rangers want to own the 2020 decade and what they're looking to do is is emulate what their counterparts in chicago have done uh you know maybe to a lesser extent in boston uh some of what you've seen where you you have a prolonged period of success because you're able to get that foundation laid and then you kind of build and swap out on top of it yeah that i i mean I'm, i've always been a, a big fan of that theory of, of just um you know, stock loading that pipeline so that, uh, you can have sustained, you know, sustained success for a very long, long period of time. You know, unfortunately for the Rangers, when, you know, they, they had their run with Henrik Lundqvist, the, at, not, I mean, it's, it's basically, you can say it's over at this point, but, um, what they basically did is they always thought they were that one piece away. So it's like, okay, well, let me, let me flip a, a first round pick for someone. Let me flip another, you know, a couple second rounders for this guy. And you're just wearing that, 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 pool very thin where you're just thought, okay, well now that these guys are gone or they're aging, or maybe I want to move them. Who's that, who's the next kid that can fill in on that, on that middle six or who can, you know, slot into my, uh, my second pair on my, on, on my defense. And they don't have those guys. And that, that's a, that was a problem. And that's why they had to do this. They almost had to gut the team. I definitely think there was a film that they had to, when, when you go back and you look at 
the weeks and months, you know, even, uh, you know, following the 2017 draft, you heard a reoccurring theme from Jeff Gordon. And what it really was, was this fear and apprehension to be located in what he called the dreaded middle. And so what that means is teams that aren't necessarily good enough to walk away with a high draft pick. Um, they're not accumulating top 10 picks. They're a bubble playoff team. If they get in, maybe they're a first round exit. You're in it, but you're really not in it to win it. And uh, that was a fear that I think for the Rangers was pick a direction. Either this window is still open and we're going to support it, or this window has come to a close and it's time to to build a new chapter. And I'm um, so glad. And I'm so glad they did that because I think that that's the problem with with. Um, either some teams in New York or some teams in major markets where they kind of feel like, oh, let's play this you know, middle ground and safe thing and maybe we sneak into the playoffs and maybe we win a game and we'll sell some tickets and who really cares? I mean, you're, you're, you're either going to be, you're either going to rebuild or you're one of the better teams. If you're in the middle, you're just kind of like, honestly, you're just, you're just food, you're just food for the top teams in the league. Exactly. You know, and, and for some, for some owners, for some organizations, um, you know, th that's a very easy rut to get caught in. Um, I think for the Rangers, they saw an opportunity where whether, whether everyone on social media or the internet agrees with them, their, their scouting staff and their player personnel people are widely respected. They're widely respected around the league. They're widely respected within the organization, within the broader company to which they report. I mean, they are held in very high esteem. And so it's easier to make that recommendation when you have those people at the table having the conversations who can go in and say, look, we think if you give us four years to accumulate, we know we can identify the players and this is what we can build. We can build you a championship contender that can contend for a seven, eight year period of time. And that's the vision that they have sold to management and ownership. And they certainly have, at least to this point, in my opinion, have accomplished that. I mean, um, including, including their, their top two pick this year. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, you could very well argue they're a top three, uh, you know, prospect pool right now. They're definitely high up there. Um, you know, this year is going to be a real exclamation point for the Rangers. If for no other reason, than the fact that one of the, the criticisms that, that you do often hear with the way the Rangers have drafted is an inability to find that top tier, no question elite player. Um, they've had players who, you know, maybe if all the pieces align together, everything falls right, maybe can be that player. Oh, well, this guy got hurt. He was, he was on track to be that player. They haven't had that guy homegrown in, in, in a generation now, um, more than a generation. You have, you'd, you'd really have to go back to, to the Brian Leach era to find that homegrown elite, no doubt, top star. Yeah, Brian um, Leach is the last guy I could think of that was yeah. a, a homegrown, you know, superstar. And, and, and you've had stars since. I mean, you, you would have guys like Zuboff and Kovalov and, you know, a few others. But, you know, that mega star, uh, you know, that Leach was. That, that's what they have an opportunity to do right now with the second pick. That's what they have an opportunity to do to, to kind of put that cornerstone in place around a lot of the core pieces and depth that they've acquired. And I also think that's that's going to influence their approach here in the 2020 draft, where I think they're looking for quality and ceilings versus, uh, you know, playing it safe. And, uh, you know, they'd rather come away with two high ceiling guys 
than three mid-range guys. We'll put it that way. I, and, and that's music to my ears, too, because I think that they've got enough depth now where I want them to swing for the fences and, and look for uh, upper echelon talent. So that's music to my ears. So speaking of that, where do you um, like what what kids in their in their pipeline are you super high on that maybe others aren't? Um, you know, I, I think one of the more underrated players you're going to find in the Rangers organization is Joey Keane. Uh, he's kind of the forgotten man right now. And and there's there's when you look at someone like ADA uh, D'Angelo, he is a guy who. Uh, you know, very strong opinions on both sides of the fence. Uh, people who love them, love them. People who have their concerns are, are always going to have certain concerns there with, with that combination of, of skills that he has. Um, you have Fox, who's just acquired him. And make no mistake, Fox is, yes, the Rangers traded a second-round pick. Fox is like having a third-round first, excuse me, a third first-round pick in this draft. Um, he is that good. Uh, is he quite a clear-cut number one 25-minute play in all situations defenseman. I do have my doubts about that, but I think he's a very important defenseman uh, that, that you need to win. Um, so you have Fox there, but Joey Keane is not a big numbers guy. Uh, he's, he's not a guy who, across the board, is really going to have anything that when someone looks at a, a box score or a stat sheet uh, that's going to stand out. What he is very good at is... Uh, tr the transition play, taking the puck and getting the play out of his zone through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. Um, he's very good at being able to get to that puck, have possession of it, and get it to a, a teammate who's maybe a little more creative with that puck. So he's a guy who, if he shows up on the stat sheet, is probably a secondary assist. More than likely, his involvement in the plays even a little before that. But that's that's something that's key for the Rangers. I think the Rangers definitely feel that they have some high-end, uh, you know, offensive talent, some high-end skill talent uh, in their system as well. And then they have guys who are more stay-at-home type, um, uh, defense-first types. Right now, I think with Keane, and you're going to see it in the 2020 draft potentially, is looking for players who can kind of bridge that gap a little bit, keep the play moving, and get the puck out of the Rangers zone. Yeah, that's something that we do a, a piss poor job of. Is our, our our transition game is 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 pretty bad. So, um, any improvement there is 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 completely uh you know uh, warranted. Um, I do want to ask you about about um our defense in general. Um, with all the guys that we've given um entry level contracts to, and you know you've got Keen and Rykov, and I mean the, the laundry list really goes on and on with Fox. You know, in, in you know in the um the pool now. Is are we going to see some guys move this summer? And by guys, I mean guys that we're used to seeing. Um, Alice Smith. Um, I don't know if Stahl is. I mean, I would assume he's probably. I don't know how you can get rid of his contract. Shattenkirk, um, D'Angelo, or Pionk. I mean, any of these guys are going to be moved. I think. I think there's definitely a possibility. It's. It's right now. I'd say it's more a question of when and not if. And a lot of that depends on what the Rangers could potentially line up in the 2020 draft. Um, it's no secret um, that there are a number of guys who they were looking at where they were originally slotted, different suspicions as to who those guys might be. It's widely suspected that it was a forward, probably a center. Um, one of the things that the Rangers are looking to do potentially is either move up in this draft and maybe see if they can find one of those players they were originally focused and, and targeting on. 
uh, or even potentially adding another first round pick, which would give them three in this draft. So when we look at names that potentially are involved in those transactions, right off the bat, number one suspect has to be Chris Kreider. You have to figure at this point with his contract, with his age, the Rangers are making a decision as to whether or not uh, they think his timeline aligns with theirs. And more importantly, how much of his timeline aligns with theirs um, and how much of a commitment they want to make to a player who admittedly has been very inconsistent um, when he's on, he is a heck of a force when, when he's off. I mean, there are people who will still argue that, you know, his, uh, you know, his advanced stats are, you know, make him uh, a, an advanced stats God, but um, you know, that, that value diminishes a little bit when he's not quite as engaged, no matter how you cut it. So that's going to be a decision for the Rangers coming into this push comes to shove. I, I think they're leaning towards moving him. It's a matter of whether or not they want to go and bring in younger talent or they want to see if they can get that lottery pick uh, or, excuse me, that other draft pick here in the first round in 2020. Uh, now, would they move him? Would, just out of curiosity, would they move him for another younger player or are they looking to move him for picks? Or is it a combination of two or either or scenario? I think both are possible. In the past, the Rangers approach, the word has been that their preference has been if they can get a young player uh, that would be ideal there's always been this concern in the back of their mind of having too many kids all on the same timeline and eventually you know squeezing all of that in can be, can be difficult you want to space them out a little bit so I, I think the preference has has usually been for a, a a young potential close to nhl ready talent um in this case there is that interest in the specific draft i think they view it as the last one they know for sure that they're going to have this opportunity. 2020 is a possibility, but it might not be. And so uh, I think draft picks are on the table. I think probably a, a similar package to what you saw for Evan Hayes, uh, you know, with, with a little bit of value added. You know, maybe you don't quite get a, a Brendan Lemieux, but uh, you, you, you get a pick that's higher than 24th at the time of the trade. So uh, I think that's the avenue they'll pursue. I think Pionk is also on the board as someone that could be a value added in those type of deals, like you saw in 2017 with the, uh, with the trade with Arizona and Derek Steppen. Um, so those are the names that come off. I think some of the other names that you have, uh, you know, I, I don't know if fast is going anywhere right now. I think they like guys who give them some versatility. So Strom isn't going anywhere. Um, you know, I think those guys will stay. I think the defense, you're probably going to see something, something give at some point. It's weird. It's weird when you mentioned Strom. I know. I know Strom's a, a weird player. I mean, I, I maybe I'm part of the minority here, but I, I, if I could, I think I move him. I don't know if he's going to shoot the way he did last year. I just feel like that's that's got to regress a little bit. You know what I mean? So, I would think, you know, some NHL GMs out there might be salivating at getting him, and you might you might really uh, get real good value there. But maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm off there. And, and it could be Strom is a guy who will always have that pedigree with him of being a high first-round draft pick. And, you know, it, it, no matter how much time goes by, the depreciation value on, on those players tends to be a little more favorable to them. Uh, in his case, you know, I, I don't know if – I don't know if there's, there's particularly a market out there because you're going to have a lot of teams who, on, on the reverse end of those conversations, are having similar concerns. Am I, am I paying a premium for a guy who, you know, the, the wheels fall off next season and you know now i've given up the prime asset so i think a lot of gms are going to hedge that a little bit you, you would see 
I could see maybe you know a second round pick being offered. More than likely, you're probably looking probably looking at a third if I'm being realistic. And for the Rangers, there's that trade off. You know, for what even if Strom regresses or you know doesn't bring what he brought last year, how much is the versatility worth to you? Is that worth a third round pick? Um, right. You know, do you want to revisit it? You know, nine months from now. So. I think he's probably a little bit more likely candidate to stay. Um, anyone who can play multiple positions you know, certainly is going to have some value because there's going to be a lot of movement that we're going to see this season with the young talent. Right. So so is a guy like them, would you say a guy like VC or Nemestikov, are they, are they on the block then? Uh, I think Nemestikov is probably a guy who has some versatility that they'd like to hang on to, but he also is a guy who has had the most interest around the league. Um, a lot of teams... When you look at him for what he is, you, you don't go into the expectations of him being a 70-point first-line winger unless you're pairing him with, you know, uh, you know an elite top player. Um, but he's a guy who, who can play a number of roles, move around a number of lines, and there's value that teams see in that. So he probably would have the most interest league-wide, though I think the Rangers, again, would give a little high, higher priority to him with that versatility. I think VC is definitely a guy who is def- who, who's going to be – floated as an option, at least from the Rangers end. Um, if a team comes back, uh, you know, uh, looking to deal with the Rangers, you know, VC is a guy who, who could be a counter offer in terms of, Hey, you know, well, we're not going to throw in fast. Would you take VC in a fifth, you know, something along those lines. So right. he's, def- he's definitely on the table. Uh, you mentioned Brendan Smith earlier, his contract uh, is probably only movable in a scenario where they take on a similar contract. So if the Rangers, Say, look, yeah, you know, we need to free up a defensive spot, but we'll take on a, you know, a forward at the same price point. General terms, I, I think they would definitely consider that. Right. Um, I think I think Smith has a chance to see more time at forward again this year. Unfortunately, um, and I th- <laughs> that's that. that oh, that's yeah. just that. That, yeah. that just that just hurts my brain hearing that. And, I'd rather and, I'd rather buy I'd rather just buy him out at that point. You know, I, I think the Rangers are really trying to to avoid the buyouts. I, I think. And in some cases, they're saying we'll live with it. You know, we can live with it for a year. I think a guy like Stahl is someone who, when he is in the final months of his contract, they'll move him. I think they'll be value there. No one's going to take that on right now. Um, you know, again, not unless there's a similar contract that somehow can be lined up and then all the details can be worked out with, with movement clauses. But, um, you know, some of those guys, you know, they're just going to have to live with for a little while. Um, I, I think there's in some cases where they'll send them to Hartford and get that veteran leadership there. So I, I don't think that's a fear per se. I just don't feel like they they believe that they were at that point yet last season. So speak, speaking of, the, well, I, I do want to ask you then, how are the Rangers going to be active at all in free agency? Or are we looking at they're just sticking to their guns and that's that? Like, I, I know they've I know that there's this thinking that they want to accelerate this rebuild a little bit. I know there. I know that's floated out there. My thinking is, if you're tr- trying to accelerate this rebuild, I mean, Artemi Panarin is staring you right in the face. And 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 I think what's always interesting about that is is the Rangers and Jeff Gordon are particularly tight-lipped on a lot of their strategies. Um, they 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 they're good at playing poker, and so what ends up happening is it becomes very easy to get into a pattern of trying to read the tea leaves. Um, you can interpret their actions in a number of ways. I think in terms of will the Rangers be active? Yeah, I think they're always going to be looking. I think they're always going to be looking to see who's out there, what the terms are. They want to know the landscape of the market. That's what they've done with the trades. That's what they've done when acquiring their younger players. People 
concerned about what fair fair value is for them. The Rangers have a good idea of what this market looks like. They, they've been dealing with it for more than a year. Right. Um, in terms of activity, yeah, I, I think they could be in. You know, I, I don't see them. I don't see them being in on a Carlson. Um, I think uh, I think there are a number of opportunities that they could pursue. Um, if you were to ask me right now, I, I and this is this is not a, a a popular answer, but I think a lot of it does depend on what they can do over the next two three weeks. I think if Kreider goes and and if they make that decision that Chris Kreider is not in their plans, I think they're much more active in the free agent market this summer. I think if they are able to get that higher end talent out of this draft, I think they're going to look at that and say, well, this is our timeline. You know, we now have guys who we think are going to be able to perform in the NHL in a year or two. You know, we're not talking about three or four years down the line that we're waiting on some of these guys. So I think those things will influence, but I think Kreider is probably the linchpin. So, so would, would you say if they if they could move Kreider, does Panarin become more of a realistic option? Because I, essentially, you're going to be replacing you know uh, Kreider's production with um, Panarin's pr- uh, production. And if you figure Kreider is probably going to get somewhere around seven million ish, I mean, if it's up to me, seven million for Kreider or ten and a half for Panarin, I'm taking ten and a half Panarin today, tomorrow, and and twice on Sunday. And, and I think that's going to be something they evaluate. I, it, if I were to put percentages on it right now, I'd say it's a 70% chance that they move Kreider. If they can work their will, they move him before the draft. I think if they move Kreider right now, I would say I would, I would put the odds of them pursuing that path um, probably, probably above 60 or 70%. I think they would be more aggressive for exactly the reasons you stated. Um, you're, you are already going to commit the years. So, you know, if you're going to tack on another three or four million to that, you might as well get the superior player and the yeah. player that you're more comfortable with as a long term investment um, in terms of you're not expecting the same production in year five as you are in year one, necessarily. You'll take it. But if there's a 20 percent decrease, you're starting at a higher point. Yeah. And the, th- the thing about Panarin, I think that's super interesting is um, he doesn't have the wear and tear that that some other, uh, you know, mid to upper 20 year old free agents have. Um, so to me, that's even more enticing is not just the, the, the versatility of his game and how dynamic of a player he is, but the fact that he's got such little wear and tear in his body, that he's got so much more in the tank that you're, I think you're going to get a lot out of year five, year six out of him. Yeah. Are you going to have to eat year seven? Of course. I mean, like most, most times when you do these big free agent deals, you do, but I personally believe year five, you're still going to get very, very good production out of him. And, and I think that's, I, I honestly think that it's one of the few contracts that I think would be extremely, uh, would be extremely um, advantageous for the Rangers and it would be worth it. And, and I think that's one of the things they're looking at. So when we talk about, uh, I don't see a scenario in which both he and Kreider are on the Rangers. So anyone penciling in line both of them, uh, uh, yeah, that's yeah, not going to happen. But uh, if they move Kreider, I think, I think the odds go up considerably. If they feel that they have, again, the higher end talent's going to be in there sooner. Uh, you know, uh, we talk about what this draft could look like. A lot of it's thinking, you know, which one of these kids will be making their NH- getting ready to make their NHL debut 14 months from now. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that's what they're looking at as well. I think, you know, there, there's this debate that often you know, circles the Rangers in terms of, you know, quote unquote, the pro tank crowd versus the, uh, you know, try and 
you know, and, and make moves and make some of these signings and make some of these trades. And the truth is that, you know, the, the ideal path forward is, is a combination of the two. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, but in terms of timelines, you know, within the organization, you hear a lot of different people talk about timeline. You know, they view it as a book that has chapters. Uh, you don't necessarily go from accumulation to Stanley Cup finals in, in 12 months. Never say never, but, you know, that's not where you would, you know, put your plans. Um, so I think that it's really a matter of figuring out when they enter that next chapter in terms of they're not quite accumulating anymore. And now your guys are getting experience. And then the question is, who do you have who's getting that experience and how can you augment them? In the Rangers case, there's openings on the wings for potentially young centers or young centers that they would want to target in this draft that if you're going to put a winger with them to complement them and get the best out of them, you know, you, you could you could do a lot worse than uh, you know Panarin, and yeah, so like... so I, I think I think that's gonna that's gonna be a, a key thing looking at, at this draft to see how they do over the next few weeks. If Kreider moves and they're more aggressive at the draft, I expect them to be all in uh, on on July first, if if not before, you know, making their plans. Um, if they take a little bit more of a conservative approach, if they don't move Kreider. I think it's a little bit more wait and see if they end up resigning Kreider and extending him. I think that door is definitely closed or they feel that door is closed before they even get there. So then let me ask you this question. So then if the Rangers are going to be a little more proactive in this draft, I mean, we know what they're, we know, we know what they're doing at two. I mean, we can all agree what we're, what they're doing at two. I don't think there's anybody on this planet that's going to disagree what they're going to do at two. Can we, can we agree on that? We don't even have to go down that road, right? The, the, the New York Rangers are going to the draft with two jerseys. And there are two names on it, and whichever one is called first, they'll use the other jersey. There is, there's no doubt this is a lock. It's a sure thing. Okay, cool. So then my, my next question is, who are some other guys they would look to move up to grab? Um, let's say, you know, like an Alex Turcotte, a, a Trevor Zegris, uh, you know. Um, I, I know, I mean, I, I've heard from many people uh, inside the, the team that they're super, super high on Trevor Zegris. Like, probably he's higher on their pecking order than some other kids. So is he somebody that, that they're looking at? Are there other names out there that they, if, if let's say a player is available at eight, nine, 10, 11, maybe they move up and grab. Definitely. So, you know, Zegris is, is a guy who the Rangers have been following for a while. Um, he is for all intents and purposes, a local kid. And so they are, you know, they, they, they know of him. Um, he is definitely a guy who, whose name has come up with, uh, you know, in a lot of conversations that they have been linked to liking and, and really having an interest in. Had the Rangers stayed in their original draft position, uh, he, was one, he was on a short list of names that was rumored to be uh, their pick. Uh, Dylan Cousins is another one as well. Um, he, he's a kid who, uh, you know, they, they've liked for a long time. Not sure if they like him better at, at center or wing. Um, but you know they, they've been paying particular close attention to the WHL uh, and to Western Canada over the last 24 months, especially over the last 12 months. And so they're going to be familiar with a lot of those guys. So when, when you talk about names that uh, you know the Rangers were linked to, uh, your Tricot is is definitely in that mix. Newhook is a name that often comes up uh, as as potentially being in there. Uh, Peyton Krebs is another name that. Uh, you know, the Rangers supposedly are, are very high on, uh, you know, they, they like the makeup, they like the offensive ceiling there as well. So, so those are the type of guys who I think if the Rangers could 
could snap their fingers and find a way into that top 10, they would do it. Unknown if that's going to be cost prohibitive to them. So one of the things that's been a focus is looking to get just outside of there, quote unquote, getting in, getting within range of the guns. And, uh, you know, if they can get close enough, say in a Chris Kreider trade or some other transaction, uh, I think they'll take that as well and then kind of play it by ear, whether or not they need to make a move that day or whether or not one of the guys they like uh, ends up sliding to them a little bit. I have, a, I have a question for you, actually, regarding that, because you just mentioned Cousins and Newhook. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that Newhook plays with Riley Hughes, who is a Ranger prospect that we drafted last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dylan Cousins played for the Lethbridge Hurricanes uh, with a guy called Jake Elmer, who the Rangers signed to an entry-level deal earlier this year. How much does that affect the Rangers' decision-making um, that a player in their range in the draft that they have seen him more regularly because he played with a Rangers prospect already. In in this case, Newhook, I'm pretty I assume they seen him more than other prospects because they were following Riley Hughes all season. And that's a fair assumption. And that is something that has traditionally played into the decisions. Obviously when you're talking about a first round draft pick, I mean it's quite an investment. Um, you know, if you if you're in a strong draft and you're picking high and you pick the wrong kid, you feel that for a yeah. number of years. Mm -hmm. um, familiarity will be very important to Ranger scouts uh, in terms of how comfortable they are with the prospect they're looking at. Now, keeping in mind, that can cut both ways. You could have a scenario where um, the more they see of a kid, the more flaws that they see. So it actually pushes them further away from said prospect. But if they like what they see, generally speaking, uh, the more times you see, you become more comfortable with it. And that guy could earn a few extra points when you're looking at your list of priorities. Yeah, yeah, because this is something I've wondered over the last couple of years um, with regards to the Finnish team TPS. Because we drafted Reunanen from them uh, in 2016, mm -hmm. and then Virta in 2017, and then Paiu Niemi last year. And their Finnish scout, Miko Eloranta, used to play for TPS. So there's, there are a lot of connections there. And then also Georgiev came over as a free agent from TPS. I mean, there's so many connections there. And this year, with the second overall pick, most likely Capo Kako is, is, is a lock for that pick. So there's a pretty good chance we are drafting a player from TPS four years in a row. I haven't, I haven't really researched it, but I think that's the first time that ever happened for the Rangers. And what you'll discover is during, during different eras, depending on a scouting department, depending on the people who you have in place, different leagues and systems become priorities. They become go-tos for a team. So if you look at the current era, uh, you know, obviously the U.S. program here in North America has been one that the Rangers have kept a close eye on. Um, they've drafted from in the past. And someone, someone could even argue that you know the Rangers were in on the U.S. program before a lot of other teams were in terms of the, it's the trendy thing now to look at the talent that they have there. Um, this year, there was a concerted effort, I can tell you, to beef up their scouting in Western Canada. Steve Kanawalchuk was certainly yep. a part of that. And there were a number of behind-the-scene moves and, and strategic initiatives that they, uh, that they implemented to identify talent out there. They well, I mean, if they're, if they're looking, looking at, at guys like Cousins and Doc and Krebs, makes sense if they're, I mean, you know, and, and Newhook. I mean, I guess if, if they if they are looking at Canadian kids, I mean, you just alluded to that, and that's nice to hear because I feel like we. When's the last time we we really don't draft a lot of Canadian prospects, do we? 
Actually, uh, um, uh, the last time the Rangers drafted a player from the QMJHL in the first round was Lucien Dubois in like the late 70s. Oh, wow. That, that's the last time we, we used the first round pick on a QMJHL prospect. And, and that, even from my time there, uh, you know, the Quebec League was seen as, uh, of the three you know, Canadian major junior hockey leagues, um, you know, that was seen as the weakest. Um, that, that, that opinion is, has been historically widely held by a lot of teams. It has changed in, in recent years, but I think if you were to talk to most scouts, uh, the Q would consistently, uh, you know, be ranked third um, most years. Um, that's, that's pretty so, great. So, so, so there is a little bit of a diversion that people do go with what they're comfortable with, and, and teams and team cultures are no different than that. Um, having said that, you know, as we've seen in the past, you know, you do it once, suddenly you do it two years in a row, and you've started a new trend. But um, Western Canada, definitely a focus for the Rangers this year. New Hook, whether they have a positive opinion or a negative opinion, um, they're going to have a strong opinion on him. They're going to have a strong opinion on Cousins, Byram, uh, Doc, you know, all of those guys, Krebs. Um, they're going to feel comfortable with whatever conclusion they arrive with uh, on those players. Uh, can I ask you about some other players? And let, let, let's, let's, I want to ask you about maybe like a Cole Caulfield or a Bobby Brink or, or Dorofeyev or, I mean, like, you know, um, also that there's also a, who's that, that American kid from Staten Island? Um, Kelly, Arthur Kelly. Yeah. So like, yeah. are the Rangers, I mean, what are their thoughts on any of those guys or how do you, how do you, what are those, um, players, how would they fit into the Rangers uh, process? So there was an interesting line, uh, probably a couple of weeks, maybe two weeks before the draft lottery where the Rangers kind, kind of joked that they wanted a high scoring forward. And um, that was taken, typically when someone says high scoring, that's taken to mean goals, uh, you know, more, more so than points. And so the, the name that immediately popped into mind for a lot of people was Cole Caulfield. And, uh, you know, he is a, you know, an undersized player, even by 2019 standards. But, uh, you know, he is a goal-scoring machine. Uh, he is a kid who took advantage of every opportunity that was given him, to him this year. He played with some elite talent at center, so there's no getting around that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that scouts like when they see him, they see that drive to the net. They see a guy who isn't relying on scoring goals from seven, eight feet out, he'll get in close. They like his hands in close. Um, they like his ability to maneuver in close. And the Rangers are, are, are high on him. He is one of the names that they certainly uh, have been linked to. And I know it was one of the names that they interviewed at the Combine as well. So I think he's a guy who his slot in the draft could go anywhere. I mean, there's been talk of him going as high as, as three or four. I don't necessarily see that happening, but he's definitely a top 10 candidate. Um, but in the way this draft is structured, I mean, you, you can't you can't rule out the fact that he might be there at 14 or 15, and that could be right in the Rangers' wheelhouse as well. So, so he's a name I know there's going to be some interest in. They they love the U.S. program. Uh, Ryan Suzuki is another kid that uh, you know they they were high on his brother. They they like the style of play of both guys. Uh, in Suzuki's case, you might have some debate as to whether or not he. He fits the high ceiling aspect that the Rangers have supposedly been focused on. Um, he's seen as being a kind of a, a higher floor, maybe lower ceiling type of player. And that, that's why you know, he, he's dropped on, on some lists. 
Um, Brink is another guy who, when you talk to scouts, there are a lot of people who feel if Bobby Brink's game maybe was was six months more advanced, uh, you know, and, and things lined up differently, you know, what could he have done on that U.S. program? You know, what could he have done in a Cole Caulfield-type role? So when you look at a Bobby Brink, Bobby Brink is, is, is kind of like when you're purchasing wine. Um, you, can, you can buy for the – you can shell out money for the wine that's aged a little bit more and you know what you're going to get, or you can buy futures. Uh, when you're talking about Bobby Brink, a team is definitely looking at futures with him. Yeah, and, and the, the thing with Bobby Brink is that he's a late birthday. He's, I think he, he's tur- only turning 18 in July. So that, that's – if you compare that to a player who already turned 18 in November, who was part of the same draft class, like you said – if he had six extra months to develop, who knows where he would have been. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I always – that I've been sensing the last year or two or maybe even three years, uh, when it comes to the U.S. development program, you know, they they have done a great job. I mean, they if you look at the, the prospects that come through, uh, it's amazing what they, what they have accomplished. Um, but I do know that scouts put a lot of uh, emphasis on the under-18 world championships. In my opinion, I don't think it's really a good thing to, to judge players based on that because with the American kids, they play together all year long, and I think that skews the, that skews the results a little bit. You know, if you look at teams like Finland and Sweden and Canada and Russia, those players are not together all year long, whereas the, the American kids are. They play together every week. So they have a huge advantage when they eventually play at the under-18s against their peers in their age group. Yeah, and, and let me tell you, those are the type of conversations and debates that teams are having right now. Um, obviously, when a team posts you know, their, their draft preview video on their website and social media, it's a much more cleaned up, it's a much more sanitized version. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that these meetings are passionate. Um, they're respectful. But they are passionate. You have people who, you know, we, we joke about what we see uh, you know, on, on social media and message boards with people debating for hours upon hours. Those debates happen in real life. Now, obviously, these are people who are passionately making a case for a kid that they have spent a lot of time studying and watching. Um, but those conversations take place. Um, I can tell you when, when you're looking at the U.S. program this year, it was such a stacked roster that I'm going to tell you that I think most scouting departments are at least going to mention that in the conversation in terms of, you know, how much did these guys elevate each other? Not mm-hmm. to say that they're not talented on their own, not to say that they're not high. Oh, they are. Picks. Yeah, of course. They, they, are. they are. 100% they are. You know, the question becomes, you know, are you, are you inching a guy towards more of a first-line center ceiling when maybe he's more comfortably a 1B, you know, a second-line center because – you, you watched him in what was basically an all-star setting for the yeah. last 12 months. It's, it's, essentially, it's the Oliver Wallstrom syndrome, where he's playing with Jack Yu, so his, 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 uh, his point production is going to be seriously skewed. Well, and, and, and I'll tell you, Oliver Wallstrom is exactly a kid who's going to be coming up in conversations and scouting meetings right now. He's going to be a kid who, when they're looking at uh, Kaliev, I, I can guarantee you, anyone who is scouting that kid right now, and there are some questions about whether or not when the points don't come easy, if he can't just treat it like a skills competition, whether or not he's willing to sacrifice and work to either get his points or bring other things to the table. I guarantee you when teams are looking at him, they're going back to that Wallstrom conversation and comparing notes 
to what they saw last year. Similarly, I can guarantee you they're looking to see who's the Joel Farabee of this year. You know, who, who's, who's the guy who, um, you know, isn't necessarily the, leading the highlight reels, but at the end of the day, you realize he had a goal and two assists, and he was the guy who created the turnover. Those are the guys who teams are going to be looking for in this draft to, to see if they can find that. And that's potentially the difference between, say, a Kaliev and a Krebs. Krebs is not necessarily a guy who jumps off the page at you with his skill set. He's playing for a, an abysmal team, WHL. And, but yet, he's high on a lot of lists. A lot of people have him in the top 10. Why? Because they feel his skill set is more likely to actually translate intact. Speaking of, I have actually an interesting question. So, speaking of the Rangers specifically, um, since you do know their, their, their scouting department and maybe philosophy-wise, I don't know how much has changed from when you were there, but what is the Rangers' philosophy when it comes to scouting? What are the, what are the um, intricacies that they look at and they value highly? What, are, like, what, what do they look at differently than other scouts? Like, I mean, I know this is a very um, unique question, but what is it that the Rangers kind of target when they're, with their, their scouting department? Are there certain things that the Rangers value maybe more than other teams? Are there certain things that maybe they look for that other teams don't or they value higher that other teams don't? I, I can tell you one of the things that you know, hockey IQ is very important to them. How do they see the ice? How do they make use of their surroundings? How do they respond to pieces on the chessboard being moved to places that maybe they didn't, they did not anticipate? So the, first and foremost, they're looking for that. I think they're looking for guys, and it, it gets a bad rap. Um, and I'm going to throw out you know, the character word. But I don't think – I think people take that to the extreme. I think they, they think that to mean that the Rangers are going to sacrifice all skill for a kid who leaves it all out there on the ice. There, there's a balance to be had. But I can tell you there are certain styles that inherently just aren't going to be as appealing to them. So when people talk about uh, you know, goal scores over the last you know, four or five drafts and you know, why weren't the Rangers looking at them, they need a pure goal scorer. The Rangers, I can tell you, probably – aren't a team that's inclined to go for the pure goal scorer. They'll go for the guy who is labeled, quote-unquote, a playmaker, uh, who ends up with 40 more assists, and when all is said and done because he's a smart player, 10 less goals. You know, so they'd rather have a 25-goal, 65-point player than you know, a 30-goal, 50-point player. Um, that's something that, 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 that's been in their philosophy for a while. Um, I can tell you that they have really put an emphasis, especially in the past when they haven't necessarily been drafting uh, in the top 10. Find us the guy who five years from now, everyone's going to be sitting there going, how did we miss him? You know, a guy who has the talent to be one of the better players in the draft, but maybe doesn't have the experience, maybe isn't physically mature. Um, I think you saw that in 2018. You know, their, their first round picks in 2018 uh, one of the things that was said to me in the days following that draft is, look, we're not worried about getting the A-plus report card in mm -hmm. June 2018. We want the A-plus report card in you know, June 2023. And so they're looking for those guys who maybe at the time of their draft was rated 20th, but in a redraft five years later, yeah, they're, they're a top five value. So that's where you see Miller. That's where you see some of those other names. Um, I think that's going to continue you worry, to be a Do you worry, though, they, they might be outsmarting themselves sometimes, though, with that? You worry you know, about I, I don't know if there's a track record for that. You know, that, that's certainly a fear. Um, you know, at some point, you know, 
you go into a room, who's the smartest person? If you find around and everyone's looking at you, that's probably a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of outsmarting themselves, I think there's always that fear there. But there's, I don't think there's a history of that particularly. I mean, at best, maybe you can debate the Anderson pick in 2017. Looking at some of the other names in and around him, you know, what seemed like a no-brainer five years, you know, uh, five years later, suddenly you realize, okay, that, that, that there was a little more nuance to that. So I don't think we really have that to go on. You know, you're looking at a team that, despite what everyone wants to project as the Rangers style or their history or their, their strengths or weaknesses, you have a big gap in there. You have 2013 through 2016 where you don't have a first-round draft pick. So you're basing a lot of those judgments off of taking a guy in the second, taking a guy in, in the third. And the reality is, I mean, your odds just go down considerably when you start getting into those rounds. So what we're going to be judging the Rangers on, what we're going to be j- judging Gordon and Clark on uh, five years from now, that's really your 2018, probably the 2020 drafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking, speaking of, then one, one follow-up to that then. Are the Rangers... Let me ask you this question. They're sitting around. They're, they're, they've already, you know, maybe they're finishing up their 2019 um, uh, rankings and they've, they've kind of got all their paperwork and they're ready to go to Vancouver and, and do, do, their, uh, do their work. Now, looking at 2020 and knowing what we know about that draft class, are the Rangers comfortable, let's just hypothetically say, are they comfortable saying, you know what, I don't mind biting the bullet one more year because of what I know about the 2020 class? Or are they feeling pressure to compete next year? I, I will tell you that. I mean, in terms of within the organization, I'm not getting the sense anyone's feeling any pressure that they have to turn this around by a certain date. Um, I think there's definitely a feeling that they have to produce results, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to produce a playoff team in two years. So what I mean by results is, you know, this next year, 2000, the 2019-2020 season, there's going to be a spotlight on Anderson. There's going to be a spotlight on those 2017 and those 2016 kids. Are they progressing? Do they start to resemble the players we projected them to be? Um, so that, that's going to be part of the evaluation process. Okay. I don't think anyone's expecting you know, the 2018 class, 2019 class to, to bring anyone to the promised land. But I, I will also say this. Um, you know, in terms of what the Rangers are trying to do, I don't think they have a. If they make the playoffs next year, and the kids are the driving force behind that and the backbone, I don't think the Rangers bat an eye. I, I think sure they'd love a high pick in 2020. Um, what they don't want is it being a veteran-led team where someone has you know a, a veteran has an MVP style season and the kids really more or less underperformed, but it's kind of hidden by the overall team success. That's what I think they're trying to avoid. But if, if they think that they can uh, you know, surround their young talent with the support they need, I think they'll do that. There's just an overall feeling that I've gotten from within the organization that they don't want to, they don't want to, to rush it, but they want to support it. And, I, and I, I agree with that. I mean, so in theory, it's more about player development than it is about where, where, where they are in the standings, so to speak. Correct. You know, I think if if Anderson, Howden, uh, you know, ADA, a bunch of other kids make tremendous progress next year, and if we have a couple of 
we have a, a rookie of the year, a, a Calder race in, uh, in New York between two players. I think they take that, even if it means finishing, quote-unquote, in the dreaded middle, you know, just outside the playoffs. They'll take that over, say, a top-five pick where nothing went right this season. Guys were hurt. No one progressed. So, um, you know, they're pretty – they are much more flexible and fluid in this process, frankly, than their fan base has been. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm and I'm glad because that's exactly what they need to do is that they can't they can't give into fan base pressure and they can't give into ownership pressure. They have to do what's right for the future, and that's it's something that when they hire JD, you've heard him say over and over, and and he's just reiterating a lot of what Gorton was saying was that patience, 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 and, and patience is is going to be a big thing. And and I will tell you this: I mean, anyone who has spent time around Jeff Gorton. What you see on TV is very much his personality. It is very even keeled. Uh, there are not highs and lows. His his temperament is, does not rise and fall like the stock market. It, it's it's pretty steady. And so for him, he's going to be very cerebral about this. Uh, management knows that's going to be the approach. If they think they can get a guy on terms that they like and it makes sense to them, they're definitely going to do it. I don't know if I necessarily see dream scenarios in the offseason where, you know, they're they're trading for one guy, signing another and or signing two of them and trading for one. You know, I don't think that's going to happen, but you will see progress. And, you know, the Rangers, I, I will tell you, it, it does drive me nuts when you hear certain conversations comparing them to the Oilers or. Uh, you know, the Avalanche or, or some of these other teams where people are afraid they're going to be caught in a 10-year rebuild. I, I don't see that for the Rangers. Uh, I think they've already accumulated more depth of talent in the last 12 months than some of those teams did in a decade. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that says something about the job that they've done in terms of the depth. Now, I the key is they have to find the, the elite talent to, uh, you know, to complement it. But, so you, you don't have the problem of depth. You're not going to have the problem of free agent signings and being an attractive destination. You're not going to have the problems of ownership being willing to give the resources even behind the scenes that, that the team needs, you know, whether it's in Hartford, whether it's in scouting, whatever. So that's not going to be the case. Um, but they're not going to necessarily go out there and just spend money like uh, you know, it, it's, it was found in the couch cushions. Yeah, but what, you know, one thing they really need to improve, and you, you just mentioned Hartford, that is to me – as important as as picking the right players in the draft because if 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 you look at Hartford the last 10 years it's been a mess um prospects are are just you know they're in a situation where they have no supporting cast they play three games in three days there there's no veteran leadership at all I think the most experienced defenseman we had was 20 24 25 um I really hope that the new president, John Davidson, does something to improve it. But Hartford needs like a full overhaul. And I'm not just talking about a new coaching staff. You know, they, they, need, they need to change their whole philosophy. Because otherwise, and, otherwise, there's no point in sending our prospects to Hartford. And I can tell you that is a conversation that has happened for, for quite a while uh, in the range. It's definitely been a, a hot topic the last six months when – you know, the Rangers were especially seeing another season that, you know, was not going the way they anticipated. Um, I, can t- I can tell you in some cases, the Rangers are not completely disappointed in the job that Hartford has done developing their young players. You have a lot of guys who 
it can be almost easy to overlook. You know, we're able to step in after after a stop in 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 Hartford. Um, you know, so those guys are playing and contributing at the NHL level. Um, there's definitely been a lot of talk about the fact that they they may have gone a little bit too far in their approach to turn Hartford into a developmental team. Um, going back to 2016, going back to 2017, that that was a buzzword that you know the Rangers were were using. And I think in hindsight, they feel that one of the things that they've been missing is the right mix of, of veterans. Um, you know, kind of like they're looking for interchangeable parts and flexibility at the NHL level. They're going to be looking for that at the AHL level. There's a bunch of kids who they, you know, might, from a forward perspective, there's going to be some forwards who are probably going to bypass Hartford. Um, but in terms of the defensemen, that's really going to be Hartford's meat and potatoes. And it's, and its contributions to the organization over the next year or two. Hartford yeah. has to be able to develop those support defensemen that the Rangers have stockpiled and ter- and be able to help the Rangers figure out which ones are the keepers and which ones are potential uh, potentially moved uh, to fill up other areas. Yeah, and, and if you look at the, the more successful teams in the AHL, like the Hershey Bears, you have a guy like Aaron Ness on that team. You know, the Charlotte Checkers have Bobby Sanguinetti, who Ranger fans will remember for all the wrong reasons. But, you know, in the AHL, a guy like Bobby Sanguinetti is is what you need. You need this. You need an experienced guy, a quality experienced guy who can can take away some of the tough minutes and who can teach these young these younger kids uh, a thing or two about, you know, that the, the next step up, because. We have so many prospects that we signed. Rikov signed an entry-level contract. Reunanen signed one. But he is, yeah, there, there's a clause in his contract that he goes back to Finland if he doesn't make the NHL team. But other players like Lindgren and Hayek, they might spend significant time in Hartford. You cannot just have a blue line where the average age is 22 or 23. And that's, I, a, that's the biggest thing they need to focus on. And, and I can tell you, I mean, that is something that, you know, in the last, you know, we talk about the changes from when I was with the organization until now. Um, that's that's a prime example. Um, you know, my last uh, my last years at Hartford was a veteran AHL team that uh, you know w- was contending for the AHL championship. It was uh, now fast forward fifteen years later, you, you have a team that's that's consistently been on the younger side. Uh, not necessarily having the veteran support, um, you know, that it needs in the right places. Defense being a prime example, you have a, you have a lot of kids who six months ago were playing against kids who were just learning to drive, and now they're going up against twenty-seven and twenty-eight-year-old veterans who have been in the league five, six, seven years. Yeah, and so they they're definitely going to have to find more of a balance on that. Uh, there has not been a rush to find a coach this summer because they want the right philosophy. They want a teacher. They want someone who, if that kid needs to be recalled tonight for a game at the garden, that kid can step right in and basically know the playbook that the Rangers are using. Um, that's going to be a little clear this year. Quinn's entering his second year, but they're definitely looking to make that connection stronger and more seamless for the prospects. Yeah, and, and this is this might be a personal gripe that I have with the Hartford Wolfpack in general, but I, I, I never really felt that the Hartford Wolfpack is part of the Rangers organization because it doesn't look like a Rangers affiliate team. If you look at other teams in the AHL, you know, the Syracuse Crunch, 
the Iowa Wild, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, the Charlotte Checkers, the Utica Comets. I can go on and on and on. Every team, I think 90% of the teams in the AHL, when you look at them, when you look at their jerseys, for instance, you know exactly which NHL team they're affiliated to. And the Hartford Wolfpack, they, they don't feel like they're part of the Rangers' identity, even from the outside. And it may be a personal grab, it may be something really minor, but that is something that I would love to see uh, changed. Like in the 90s, when the Rangers had the Binghamton uh, Rangers as their affiliate team, I feel that matters from a psychological standpoint for the players as well, because they then they feel more part of the organization. Well, okay. it's, Maybe that's it's, just me. No, Stephen, it, it's actually an excellent point, and, and I'd like to answer it kind of with, with from two different approaches. Um, the decision to go into Hartford has always been a little bit, met with a little bit of controversy within the organization. Um, obviously, Hartford is a former NHL market, yeah. has a lot of, has a lot of old fans there who remember that, and and you know, the Rangers are not necessarily going to come into town as uh, you know uh, you know favorites and, and you know much beloved. So, so right off the bat, there there was always a feeling that putting that team into quote unquote enemy territory uh, mm -hmm. was was never the best approach because even if you know, the fans you know a generation or two later came to accept it as their team you don't quite have that same level of love as you see when you go to a Hershey Bears game. Um, ironically enough, where I currently live, I live 15 minutes from Hershey, Pennsylvania. I live in, in the countryside. And um, when you go to a Hershey Bears game, it's, it's a culture onto mm -hmm. itself. You, you feel that history. You feel that culture. Even if, if, if no one in the stands particularly cares for the Caps, uh, you know, they want their guys to go up there, you know, and, and, and kick butt at the NHL level. You, you, that's missing a lot of times when, when, when you look at the Wolfpack. And it's been something that has been a topic now for, uh, I'm trying to remember when they moved to Hartford. It's more than 20 years ago. So you're talking about more than 20 years of conversations in this manner. I think it was um, 97, 1997. Yeah. So, you know, 22 years now at this point. Yeah since they've moved in, we're still having these conversations. We were having those conversations when I was in my 20s. I am, I am yeah. 40 now. Like, we were having those conversations then. Um, you know, so, so that's something that I, I think at some point they're going to have to address one way or the other. Now, the challenge is, is that Hartford, uh, you know, from a market standpoint, from certain business aspects, uh, you know, does give them an advantage over going to a Binghamton, a Utica, you know, some of those other towns. Um, you know, there have been rumors on and off, really for the better part of, of, of 15 years at this point, about having that, that the team move closer, maybe even within the city somehow, uh, not only to, for proximity, but you know, to get them used to New York culture, get them used to the Rangers culture, yeah. uh, have, have, them, have them close by. So those conversations are, are ongoing as well. But, but yes, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, the Rangers definitely recognize that there is a disconnect between uh, their, their minor league operations and their NHL operations. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and of course, a couple of years ago, you had that, 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 that short period where they went through this weird identity crisis where they were the Connecticut whale for, for like a year and a half. Uh, it, was, it was sort of like the whalers, but then not really. Uh, and then, and, that, that's, and that's then a, they went back to the wolf pack. It, 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 exactly. It's like, cannot make up their mind of what they want to do in Hartford. 
Well, and and that's and that's and that's part of the, the, the cultural identity. Are you embrace? Are you living in the past? Yeah. Or are you trying to set an identity for the future? And looking at that market, asking yourself, well, can I really navigate either? You know, am I stuck in a weird, no-win situation where I, you know I can't go back to the past, mm-hmm. but it's it's hard to move on to the future. So so those conversations continue. And I think when we look at this year, one of the things they really want to emphasize is. When you are drafted, when you are in the New York Rangers organization, you are a Ranger. It doesn't matter if you're playing in Sweden, mm-hmm. Russia, yep. Western Canada. Um, you're a New York Ranger. You represent the Rangers on whatever team that you're playing on uh, outside of the organization. When you go to Hartford or you go to the Rangers minor league affiliate, you're a New York Ranger. You're playing for the Wolfpack, but you're a Ranger. When you're playing in the East Coast Hockey League, you're a ranger. Um, really making sure that that permeates through. And so they're, they're trying to shift that culture. It, it's going to take a little time. It's going to take the right personalities. But when you look at what the rangers are trying to do, and again, we look at this you know, from the 10,000-foot view sometimes, the rangers are really trying to create a culture from mm. top to bottom. From the day you are drafted, you know, we've seen in the news now talking about having uh, different professionals work with the prospects overseas uh, when they're outside of the organization. That's a new focus, something that they're looking at. Uh, you know, checking in with them uh, regularly, almost kind of like a, like a guidance counselor would, and you know, at the high school or or college level, checking in with them regularly and and guiding them through different things, getting a feel for how their situations are in their different environments. Um, you know, so so. It's it's going to take a shift. I don't think you're necessarily going to see everything happen overnight, but they want to start with this crew, and then so you get to a point in the 2020s where it's just natural, and you, you never knew they never knew anything else from this organization. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, like like I said, yeah, I I think the whole the whole identity is part of that. It's just a psychological thing. Um, I remember an interview that Kucherov had when he was with the Syracuse Crunch. And um, he said at the time that he felt like he was playing for the Lightning because yeah. it's just everything. It's the jerseys. It's, it's, it's you know, it, it, it gives them the feeling that they are part of the organization. And the Hartford Wolfpack, they, it just, it, it feels like a completely different organization. And I understand they cannot put a Rangers team in Hartford because of the history. So, yeah, relocating them somewhere else is probably a necessity if they want to go back to that Rangers identity throughout the organization. Yeah, and, and for the Rangers, it, it's two approaches. It's trying to change a corporate culture in which the Hartford Wolfpack, Wolfpack was kind of a separate uh, division within the larger you know, Madison Square Garden company umbrella. Um, so trying to eliminate those bridges. And then really a lot of what they're doing, if you were to really say, well, who are the Rangers pulling some of the playbook stuff from they're pulling from Tampa Bay. Um, the, the increased attention played in the Western hockey league, um, looking for defensemen who, uh, you can get the puck to the guy who, who knows how to create the play high end offensive skill. A lot of that, they're definitely looking to see what Tampa has done over the last few years from a culture standpoint, you know, Tampa ingrained their prospects from day one. You mm-hmm. were a member of the lightning and they had support services in place. You know, Barb Underhill uh, was someone that they worked with quite a bit from just the skating standpoint. So just getting their young prospects at 18, 19, 20 to skate that much better 
they viewed that as a long-term investment. So those are the type of things that you're really going to be seeing the Rangers focusing on is now, you know, we're going to be checking in with them every two weeks, every month. How's it eating? You know, are you noticing anything with your cardio? Hey, you know, try changing this up, giving them resource packets that they can use when they go out there. And, and they're going to be hiring a number of people to fill positions that have not existed before within the organization. And, and there's a lot of excitement about that, uh, especially as it ties into the bigger picture of what they're trying to create. Yeah. You know, and, and, I, I, oh, sorry. I, I remember when uh, the, the season after uh, Lias Andersson was drafted, he was, uh, he was back in Sweden. And there was a video that was posted on Twitter by the Rangers of a skating coach that was going over to Sweden to work with him. And I remember the overall, uh, the, the comments in general were like, oh, I cannot believe he needs, a, he needs a, a skating coach from the Rangers. But what you just told me, it, just, it feels like that, that was part of the, you know, the, the difference in culture where, you know, they put more, they, they, they give their prospects more attention, even if they are not in New York. And that's, and that's a big part of it. You know, it's, I think sometimes the immediate reaction that people have, that fans have, um, when they don't necessarily understand what's going on behind the scenes, they look at that and they interpret it by maybe some of their own fears or, or questions about a prospect. So in Anderson's case, you know, questions about his skating, they put two and two together and, and you know, suddenly they're off to the races. Yeah. Now, with the Rangers, I, I think that's a big part of it. It's finding that level of support. Um, as far as they're concerned, it doesn't matter how skilled you are, how how talented you are. Uh, you can be a great skater. If there's one thing that we see that can maybe get you that extra 150th of a second and you get to the puck faster, we're going to point it out and, and we want you to, you know, to, to take a look at it. So you're going to yeah. see a lot more of that, um, you know, Earlier in my career, I always used to, to joke with, um, you know, with people who would, who would be new to the public relations profession, uh, you know, at the pro sports level, you know, who hadn't been edited before. And they would, uh, you know, they, they would bristle at it a little bit. And I used to point out to them, you know, Ernest Hemingway had an editor that he used for, for all of his work. And, and, you know, and he's arguably considered one of the greatest authors of the last, you know, 150, 200 years. So yeah. if... Ernest Hemingway's work can be edited. Your work can be edited. And I think that applies for a lot of the players as well. You know, we're, we're always going to try to find a way to, to, to make you that much better. And, and players at 18 are not a finished product. They're really not. I mean, you know, I think one of the things that can be very easy to forget in this whole process, and I, I think it's one of the underlying tones that when you're hearing pleas for patience from the Rangers organization, we're not talking about 22 and 23 year old kids we're not even talking in some cases about 21 year olds mm. we're talking about 18 19 20 these are young prospects some of these kids 10 years ago we would be talking about the numbers that they're putting up in in junior hockey we, we wouldn't be talking about how they're looking at as as teenagers and i would almost say we, we've almost come to expect it a little bit and we forget how rare it's been for a teenager to step in for the New York Rangers. Um, you know, we're, we're at a point where, you know, we have multiple teenagers, multiple people who aren't old enough to get a post-game drink in Manhattan. Yep. You know, we're not talking about some of these players who, when people are remembering what Brendan Dubinsky was or Ryan Callahan was or some of these other guys, in most cases, they are forgetting that you're talking about kids who are two and three years older than some of the names that we're talking about. Now, now granted, maybe not as 
as naturally talented or necessarily have those ceilings, but that age gap is significant. It's going to take time and, and it's going to be a process because just as the today's 18 and 19 year olds enter their early twenties and find their game, you're going to have a whole new generation of 18 and 19 year olds potentially working their way into the organization. Yeah, and, and the comparison that I've been using for the last year and a half when people complain about Lias Anderson and Philip Hedel is, you know, just look at guys like Logan Couture and Mark Shifley and Matt Barzal. And I can I can list another 25 players off the top of my head who played junior hockey for two full seasons after being drafted. Well, and, and what's really funny with Anderson and Hedel is they're always going to be under the microscope a little bit more because they, they were the firstborn so to yep. speak. You know, when, when people have memories of what we're doing, those are the first two names. And so the entire weight of the organization at times I felt was on those two having to be top line players. I would argue that the 2018 and the upcoming 2019 drafts were the best thing that could have happened to Anderson and Hedl, Um, because no longer do they have to be, do they have to be a franchise player or a guy who yep. maybe is, there's, there's, we're not quite as concerned about whether Heedle is a first-line center anymore. We're more willing to accept, hey, he can be a very effective top six forward. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, as that conversation shifts, I think it's easier for them to go in and, uh, you know, and, and do their thing. And, and that's why I think the Rangers are looking for some of that high-end talent in this draft so they can kind of shoulder that load together a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and, and winning the draft lottery was great for the Rangers. But ever since we won the draft lottery on April 9th, I mean, I, I, I don't see that many articles online or that many debates online about Vitaly Kravtsov anymore, mm -hmm. who, was, who was supposed to be the big guy. But now that we have the second overall pick and most likely we'll get Capo Caco in the draft uh, next week. Oh, it's next week already. Wow. Um, we'll get Capo Caco next week at the draft. Um, every every player uh, has been sort of pushed to the pushed to the to the back a little bit when it comes to you know discussing them and what we expect of them. So yeah, it's not just Hedo and Anderson; it's also Kravtsov, who who gets a little bit more leeway from this fan base now that Kako is going to be in the uh, on the team. And then what you're seeing this year with the 2019 draft is why a guy like Kako is is, is so important because everything else falls in line around him. We were talking about earlier, sometimes you have those guys who, you know, they could be that guy. They, you know, with, with, with a few tweaks, maybe we can put them on that level. Make no mistake, the expectation for Capo Caco is to come in here and to be a franchise player for the New York Rangers. He is the guy that they are looking as a centerpiece. It's not a maybe, it's not if, certain things fall in line that that's the expectation. That is the day one expectation. Yeah. That resonates down through the rest of the, the organization and allowing guys to be maybe a co-pilot, uh, you know, maybe a, you know, a first lieutenant, you know, some of those things where it's a role that's more suited for them. And if they happen to exceed expectations, that's fantastic. Yeah. But the spotlight's no longer on them with that hope of, well, if they don't exceed expectations, we're in trouble. Um, you know, when we look at what the Rangers are hoping to, to come away with from this draft, I think they're, if, if the Rangers could lay out a blueprint for what they would want the day after the draft, they want their franchise cornerstone player, which they're going to get at number two. Yep. They want a guy who's going to give them another option in the top six 
with a with a second first round pick. Um, and when I say other options, that could mean Heedle on the wings, Anderson on the wings, someone getting moved. They want that extra layer of, of protection there. And then Flex- if they could have that third, flexibility um, and, and the ability to, where it's not do or die on one player. Um, you know, if you look at a scenario and, hey, you know, Anderson happens to be a heck of a third line wing that plays with Howden and Lemieux, but that line creates havoc. I think they accept that because it, it, it plays a role and they already have someone else who can take a top, top six role. Um, and then finally, I think with that third first round pick, because I think the Rangers would love to have three. I, there was definitely some lamentation with uh, you know them, them missing out on, on Dallas's first or Tampa's first. Yeah. They wanted three because they want that support player. Um, not all that different than they, than they went with last year. Um, you know, in terms of a Lundquist in terms of someone who they view who will give them more time. Um, you know, this one doesn't have to be, you know, ready to skate in the NHL in a year, but we see a role that they could play on the broader concept of what we're trying to build. So do you think they're targeting defensemen in the draft this year or will they go all, all for forwards? Because we don't have that many fo- unsigned forwards in the system anymore. We have, we have Morgan Barron, Laurie Payuniemi and Riley Hughes. That's it. I would definitely say for the Rangers, um, you know, with uh, with this draft, I don't think they want to go all forward. Um, I think if they have two picks, they have no problem going forward in the first. Um, I think that would probably be their preference based on on who's likely to be available. If they have three firsts, uh, I I don't think they want to go with three forwards per se, but I think they would go with two forwards and a defenseman. Mm. Uh, I definitely think. There are a number of guys, a number of defensemen who they are hoping in the second round could be there, could could provide good value to them. Um, but you have to keep in mind, one of the things that the Rangers are going to view when they view this draft, how they've kind of constructed it, uh, someone like Adam Fox to them is like coming away with uh, a first round pick and a defenseman from this draft. So, so that's going to influence them somewhat. But I, th- I think if the Rangers could work their will, uh, they would like a winger, a center, and a defenseman. Um, in terms of defenseman, a guy who maybe has that upside to be a first pairing. Um, all the pieces haven't quite come together, so you know, you're looking at you know a guy like York. And, you know, there's a few other names on there as well um, that could fit that bill. I think they feel more comfortable with that. They're they're likely to get a forward that they like at 20 than they are a defenseman. But um, I, I think they're open to to both. Well, I mean, there's a lot of forwards in this in this in this draft in this first round that I think are, I mean, that are real. They could be really good players. I mean, I think there's guys that you can get, you know, from 15 to 25. That I mean, they could very well be top six wingers. They could be, you know, and and the, and the Rangers are looking at some of them. You know, uh, you know, Brink is a guy looking at Suzuki, Tomasino. Um, you know, th- those are names that come up where they're looking, saying like, you know, this isn't necessarily a guy who. Tomasino is not necessarily a guy that people drool over as a you know a top ten or a top fifteen pick, but there's heck of a value there if you can get him at twenty. Oh, you get him at, you get Tomasino at twenty. I think that's a I think it's a fantastic pick at twenty. Exactly, and so I, and I think that's what the Rangers are looking at with the defensemen. They're fewer and further between, so the odds of one of them being on the board when the Rangers pick, I, I think it's just a numbers thing. I think they would definitely have an interest in Broberg. Broberg's a guy who, frankly, could could go top ten. 
or he could be sitting there at 20. I mean, depending on who you talk to and the, and you know how that team feels. Um, York is a guy who you talk to some teams, he's just outside the top 10. You talk to other teams, yeah, he could go in the early 20s. Um, Soderstrom is another one. Uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of guys who, who could be there, and then the question becomes, is there going to be a run on defensemen early in the draft? Because this is such a forward-heavy draft, um, you have teams that are saying, okay, well, there's four or five defensemen we really like, but we have to grab them because they're not going to be there. And so right, does like, that, like, 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 like York and Heinola and, yeah. and Broberg and right. They're going to go. And then all of a sudden at the end, you've got just, you know, tw- you know, 20 forwards basically. Correct. And, and I, and I will tell you, you know, from everything I've heard, the Rangers like, like a lot of teams like the forwards better than the defensemen in this draft. So if you're the Rangers, that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for a run on defensemen. You're hoping, Hey, you know, wow, there was an extra guy who snuck into the top 10 and then, Maybe another two or three who, you know, who slid into the uh, you know the eleven through fifteen range. Mm. Now all of a sudden, the guy who you would have considered maybe taking sixth overall is sitting on the board at fourteen, or he's sitting on the board at twelve, and and you're at fourteen or fifteen, and you're in a position where you'll sacrifice a second to to move up those three spots. I think that if the Rangers could could work their will, they'd love to see that. They would love to see a Cousins somehow fall like he did on uh, you know on Craig Button's list and be there at 14. I, th- I think they would be all over that. I, I don't think, think there's any chance Cousins falls that far, though. I, I don't see it either, you know. But, you know, when you're looking at that, you, and you go, hey, I think they would, they would love a scenario like that. So I think they're looking for a forward who they would have taken at six, but they do a cartwheel that, you know, they, they can take, uh, you know, maybe even move up and take. Let me ask you a question on one player. So, so I, this is, I, I think he's the most controversial player in this draft. And I'm actually not talking about Bud Colson. I'm not talking about I'm talking about Dorofeo. So there are people, there are a lot of scouts that love him. And then there are the pundits who have him not even in the first round. Um, yeah, so, so Dorofeev is definitely a guy who you have different opinions. You have some people who have him very comfortably in the second round. Um, you have some people who they view him I don't know if I if I've quite heard anyone have them in his top in their top ten. Um, I have seen him just outside, say in the eleven to, to fourteen range. I I have him at fourteen on on my little list. Um, I think he's the real deal. I think the talents there. I, I think he's another one of those players who, when you look and you say, "Look, I'm not I'm not drafting him because he's the best kid on on June twenty second, two thousand nineteen. I'm drafting him because five years from now, I think he's going to close that gap and and pass some of these guys up. Um, I would definitely say, I know the, I will tell you the Rangers have an interest in him. Okay. Um, I know he was, I was just wondering if the Rangers stay at 20, is he somebody that they would snatch up or, they, or, is there, or, or are they more in the likely of let's pass on and see if he's there in the second round. Um, I, I think it depends on how that, how that first round breaks. I, I don't personally think they would have a problem taking him at 20. Okay. Um, is he the first guy? on their list that they would take at 20. I don't think so. I, I don't know where he would rank on their list. I think there are a handful of guys who they would take at 20 before they would take him. Okay. Um, but yeah, he, he's definitely on the radar. He's a guy, again, they'd love to get in the second round if they could, but uh, if they look at their list and some of the forwards that they like are not on there and the defensemen are, you know, the few defensemen that they would consider are gone. Uh, I don't think they hesitate to take him at twenty. Yeah, because I, I think I mean the, the 
the little bit I watch of him, I'm, I'm, I mean, if he's there at 20, I take him all day long. Yeah. I, I, I think he's a great value pick at 20. And that's, and I feel like that's a pick you can make in a draft like this when you have the second, when you have the second pick, you know, when you know you're coming home with, you know, with, with, with Kako, I mean, it's, you 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 know you've already you're already going to have a good draft. This is one where you can sit there and go, now how do I make it a grand slam? And if I can get two guys out there who are point producers on the wings for me, and that gives me the flexibility to move someone a year or two from now, that that's a win win for the Rangers. Yeah, uh, I have I have one one more question for you. Um, the Rangers have released some videos uh, in the last week or two uh, from the combine. Um, where they interview Adam Graves and Nick Bobrov. Uh, by the way, I'm a huge fan of Bobrov. I think what he has done as the director of European scouting the last couple of years has been amazing. Uh, but they, they interviewed those two and they interviewed Gordy Clark. But in those videos, they showed snippets of prospects they were interviewing. Do you think the Rangers... Uh, 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 do you think the Rangers care of who which prospects show up in those videos? Do they Do they even... Do they even take that into consideration when they cut those videos? Um, I, I think the Rangers. Well, I think the Rangers try to definitely make sure that uh, they are not tipping their hands in those videos. Um, but, but, but for the most part, when when you work behind the scenes, the the, the public relations and the, the team that's putting that video together, uh, you know, the marketing team, they'll work with someone who's kind of a little bit more of an escort, and they'll have a list of shots. So when the Rangers give them the list of shots of you know here here's some guys that go get some B-roll of that you know that we can use, um, they're going to vary that list up a little bit. They're not necessarily going to say you know here here's our top five guys. You know make sure you get them in the video. So there is some coordination there. I can tell you if it's anything like it's been in, you know in, in years past. I mean the people who who work closely together they have an idea of who you know who the Rangers like maybe more than others. Um, but those videos definitely are looked for to make sure there's nothing tipped off. I mean, I can tell yeah. you, um, you there's someone reviewing those videos to make sure there's no glares or no reflections in windows or picture frames behind you. So they're looking at that because all the information they collect is is sacred to them, and they don't want anything that could potentially do that. So yeah. I would say when you're looking at, I mean, obviously when you're when you're looking at kids who were called in for one-on-one interviews in the combine, th- there's a reasonably good possibility that they're really high on that kid um that's not necessarily a given though um and, mm-hmm. and it's worth noting in, in some cases you could have someone who they're unsure of you might have someone who they really like but they're trying to figure out you know what's the personality is, it, is this kid more passive is he a natural leader yeah. some of those type things yeah um, and, and and i had a lot of fun dissecting those videos you know trying to identify some of the prospects and uh, one of the other uh, members on uh, HF boards, Joey Bones, did a great job at, at identifying uh, uh, the majority of them. But, and, and I know I shouldn't read too much into it, but, you know, I get a little bit carried away because I'm so excited about the draft, of course. Yeah, I, just, I was just wondering if, if the Rangers actually take that into consideration when they cut those videos. They, they do. I, I will tell you that, that whoever is, you know, depending on who's higher up in, in that public relations, that marketing department, that video yeah. is getting cleared before it ever sees the light of day, and and most of them, when you're when you're a seasoned pro, you 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 know you without even being said, you kind of know what to film and how to put it together. And so, uh, with the Rangers staff, I would say there's probably very very minimal 
editing that takes place because they already know what the expectations are. Yeah. And, and I love that the Rangers are putting out this content because this is something that has been missing for years. Whereas other teams have put out content like this for years. I mean, the Carolina Hurricanes last year had this, this one-hour documentary um, with, uh, uh, um, divided into four episodes where uh, the one, one was focused on the combine, the second one was the draft, the third one was uh, a prospect camp, and the fourth one was preseason or something. And that the Rangers are starting to put out more content for their fan base now, which I love. I just hope they continue on this path because it's so much fun to see this sort of behind-the-scenes stuff a little bit more. And the Rangers have notoriously been more of a a closed-curtain organization. Um, you know, so for those who aren't familiar with my background, um, you know, I, I wrote for Hockey's Future way back in the day, way back in the mid-'90s. It started out as a hobby, and then it kind of became a project onto itself. Now, no one was doing that stuff back in the day, so it was – it was it was a lot easier, uh, you know, to do it. I mean, now there's you know, fifty different websites dedicated to just hockey prospects, videos, YouTube, everything else. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons why I always had to be very careful with that was the Rangers were monitoring that stuff. They were they were looking to see where you know what was popping up in searches and those type of things. That they they were very cognizant of a lot of those things. Um, unfortunately, sometimes that, that influenced them to be a little more conservative with, uh, with their approach. And I, I will tell you that the culture over there in general is, is a more conservative New York business culture. Yeah. Um, so there's always been this hesitancy to, to reveal too much, to give too much of a peek behind the curtain. They, 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 they kind of teased the idea sometime around 2004, 2005. I know the Rangers did uh, a couple of draft specials around that time here, but they've always wanted to play that closer to the vest. Now, having said that, some of what you're, change, what, what you're seeing right now, the change that you're seeing is it, it, it is a business decision, not because they necessarily want to be more transparent and open. It's a business decision because they know they need their fan base to connect with these young players. This is the product that they're trying to sell. They're trying to build the team of the 2020s. Yeah. That is the overarching goal for the New York Rangers, which means they want their fans to fall in love with these prospects from the get-go. They want them to be excited about having the second pick in the draft. They want them to be excited about building a dynasty. And so you're going to see that shift probably more than at any point you've seen from this organization. You're going to see more of that content. Will it match what other teams are doing, probably not. But for most Ranger fans, it'll be uncharted territory. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let me uh, let me ask you one 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 last question in regards to the Rangers and this this 2019 draft. So I know we talked a bunch about Kreider possibly you know getting traded, and I think that that's that's something I've touched on a bunch, and I actually think it's a very realistic possibility. Um, who are some teams that you think that we would be targeting um, with? Let's just say you know in this first round as a potential suitor for Chris Kreider? Would it be a team like Edmonton at eight? Would it be a team like um, Colorado at 16? Would it be a team like um, possibly Arizona at 14 or Florida at 13? Like who are some teams where you think that could use Chris Kreider and might be willing to give up a pick for him? I think the first team that comes to mind when, when you talk about a potential connection for the Rangers is Arizona. That's a name that comes up quite a bit more in conversations behind the scenes. 
Um, a lot of it's speculation that there, that there would be a, a connection there. The thought being you're looking for teams that are looking at this year's playoffs. GMs who have been there a couple of years, they need to move that needle. We were talking earlier about how the Rangers at some point need to show progress. These GMs need to show progress. Um, a playoff berth to most owners shows, shows progress. We're trending in the right direction. So they're looking at this year's playoffs, and, and there's a lot of talk of, well, why not me? Well, why couldn't I be Dallas? Why couldn't I be St. Louis? Um, why couldn't I be Boston? You know, some, some, of, some of these teams that are Carolina. Um, so I think you're going to see that as an influencer. Whether or not it influences certain teams to make moves remains to be seen. But I think for, for, for teams that are picking in the teens in this draft, um, just below that playoff bubble, yeah, they're looking to figure out how they can maybe get an extra 10 points, 8 points, uh, you know, th- on top of what they would hopefully progress with anyway. Arizona is one of those teams who the West is wide open. Had they made the playoffs, who knows what direction they could have gone. They've kind of right. been spinning their wheels in place. They might want to take a look up. Um, Florida, I think, under normal circumstances, would be a team that we'd be talking about. The question that we have there is, is, is whether or not they're looking at Panarin. Um, are, are, if they're looking at him, Kreider becomes less of a fit. Um, you know, it's a very real possibility the Panthers might be the Rangers' number one challenge for being able to sign him. So, so that may or may not take them out. Um, I think there are a few other teams that are possibilities. Edmonton is a possibility, but I don't see them going for an American forward one year away from being an unrestricted free agent unless they had an extension in place. Right. Um, he just, think, he, just, he just makes so much sense playing with, with McDavid. I mean, just yeah. those two together would be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 think, there, I think Edmonton is a possibility. Uh, how, about, how about Philly? Because they, Kreider would be a, a potential replacement for Simmons, who they traded away at the deadline. No, they won't trade. Uh, they, 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 won't, they won't do directly there. And, and I can tell you, they especially won't do directly there now that the Flyers have Kevin Hayes. Um, the, you know, the Rangers would be very cognizant of having both Hayes and Kreider uh, you know, playing within the same division. But I, I, I will give you a couple of wild cards that, that aren't names that necessarily pop up that I think are out there. Um, you know, Buffalo, I wouldn't completely rule out, um, mainly just because you know, they've just made – they're in the process of making their commitment to Skinner, but they're also in a situation where they could turn around and say, "Look, you know, for you know, for, for Kreider at half price, with the possibility that yeah, maybe we can resign because we've got some depth at center and some of those things." I, I think that's a possibility where they might say, "Look, yeah, we made moves this offseason. We 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 are bringing in seventy goals next year uh, on the wings to complement our centers." I, I think they're a possibility. Um, uh, I would, I would I not rule out Anaheim as a possibility. As a possibility. Um, I think for them, I don't know if they're ready to move on from, quite ready to move on from, from that, uh, you know, gets left uh, era. Uh, they could very well be in the business for, uh, in the market for someone like Kreider. Um, I think in their case, you might have a scenario where they might have an interest in, you know, going that direction, knowing that they have another first round pick to offset this a little bit, that they have some maneuverability. I wouldn't rule them out either. And I, I really wouldn't even rule out a team like Vancouver who, if the Rangers are within striking distance, you know, maybe not a direct fit for Kreider, 
Um, but, uh, you know, potentially if the Rangers can get within striking distance, uh, they might be willing to slide down a few spots. And you know, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, some of the other Ranger possibilities who could be moved. There might be a market or a match like that at some point. So I think there are some options for the Rangers to consider there. Do you, uh, I, so to circle back on, on, on these players, do you think at all it's possible we can see, uh, I just want to throw some names out there. Uh, likelihood of Kevin Shattenkirk getting moved? I would say slim, uh, unless you had another similar contract that you could swap him for. Okay. Uh, likelihood that you see Bushnevich get traded? I would say a 40% chance right now. Okay. Um, I, I think they, he's, he's in play, potentially at the draft, especially if the Rangers feel that they're getting the guys that they want and are going to go all in on, on, on Panarin. Um, I think he, I put him at 40%. His odds may be a little higher. He, he's going to be tempting for them. Yeah, that, and that was done. the follow-up question, is if they don't trade him, are they? I mean, they're not going to bridge him, are they? I don't think so. And, and truth be told, I, I feel like he's at a point where he'll, he'll get a contract. It's really a question of whether or not you're going to get, whether or not he's going to be one of those contracts where you sit there and go, wow, there's some great value here. Um, he, he'd probably get more than he would based on his, uh, on, on his accomplishments to this point, um, but less than if he had already established himself as a 25 goal, 60 point player. So I think the, the, the final numbers will probably kind of split the difference with, with the possibility for him to be either you know, slightly overpaid for what he is or uh, you know, a heck of a value. But I think the Rangers would rather gamble on him maybe being a heck of a value. Yeah, I would just want to see the Rangers you know, start, doing, start doing to players what they did with Mika Sabanajad, which is you're banking on the talent and you're going to give them a long-term deal. And then at the end of it, even if they become okay, the value is great as the cap increases. And you're like, wow, I'm paying, you know, like, $5 million or so $5.5 million for a number one center. Or if you sign, you know, uh, Bushnevich for, let's say, $5 million down the road, even if he is a middle six forward, you go, wow, middle six forward, 40, 50 points, $5 million. That's great value. Yeah, I, I, think, I think if they can get Bushnevich on that kind of deal, I, I think they definitely would. I think that would be their preference. Again, if they're not moving him, push comes to shove, I think their first preference is not to move him at this time. Um, if, if they have to, and that's the path forward, I think they consider, but I don't think it's their first choice. Um, their first choice would be to get him under contract. And I think the feeling being that, look, he, unless he falls off, you know, the, the edge of the, the map, you know, we're, we're not going to not be able to move him. It's just a matter of what we'd be able to move him for at some point if we had to. Right. Makes total sense. Um, and I would, I would assume that we're, so are we both believer that one of Tony D'Angelo or Neil Pionk will be removed from this team next year? Or will they both be on this roster? If I was to guess right, there's my expectations, and I think there might be what the Rangers are expecting. Um, I think Pionk is, is, is a guy who is a likely candidate to go this summer. Oh, that's, um, music. that's music to my ears. Uh, I, I think they would consider him. You know, we, we talk about... You know, take a look at that, that deal back in 2017 with Arizona. You know, everyone remembers, you know, Steppen, but, you know, there were more players involved in that than just, you know, Derek Steppen. Um, I, could, I could very much see, see Pionk being a guy who, in a Chris Kreider type trade, and that's part of the safety net for the team acquiring him is, look, if nothing else, you, ha you will have a player on your roster a year, a year from now 
uh, as a result of this deal. So looking at a team like Arizona, uh, you know, if Florida materializes, you know, some of these other names, I think he could be a sweetener that they would consider. I think Fox makes that possible. Um, having said that, um, I think the Rangers' expectation this year, I think the Rangers expect Fox to play. I think they expect him to play immediately or with a very short internship, maybe half a season in, um, in, uh, in Hartford. So the real question is, is, you know, is Fox playing in October or is Fox making the jump in December? And that might play into whether or not the Rangers, when the Rangers make a move. Yeah. The, the thing is for me is just with, with, with Neil Pionk is I, maybe I'm, this is just me speaking. Is that I mean, if I could trade, if I can get anything for him, I trade him. I mean, I'm being honest. I mean, I just, I, I he's that low on my, on my pecking order. I think, and I will say, I think Pionk has more value probably than he's, he's given credit for by, by a lot of Ranger fans. Um, you know, are we talking about you know, him being the centerpiece of a deal? No, that's not going to happen. But in terms of, of value added to a trade, you know, be it a Chris Kreider trade, be it, you know, whatever that, that, that move is, um, I, I think there's decent value there. The Rangers have the challenge of the fact that, you know, a, a lot of teams are looking for right-handed shooting defensemen who can move the puck and have some offensive abilities. In the Rangers' case, they now have three of them that are, you know, six feet and under, uh, have some crossover in their skill sets. Obviously, they're not, uh, you know, mirrors of, of one another. But, you know, there, there's enough crossover there that, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to confuse them for a different type of defenseman. Um, Pionk, more than likely, is the guy who has the right balance between potential trade value for the Rangers and, uh, you know, without necessarily, you know, providing no upside to, to the acquiring team. I think, I think Pionk can be an NHL defenseman with some refinement. I think it's just the right expectation. I expect that he would probably be a bit of a journeyman, right. um, you know, a guy who, who, who can step in, you know, maybe at his peak, you know, eat 18 minutes as, you know, a number six defenseman. If you're expecting more than that, you're, you're probably expecting too much. But, you know, the reality is, is a year and a half ago, most people would have taken what Neil Pionk is for being a free agent signing. The right. fear comes in is I think now everyone's afraid he's going to block a prospect that they like more. I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Pionk is, is Mr. Right now for the Rangers. Yeah. So I, a, I a, um, a comparison for Pionk would then be a guy like uh, Matt Hunwick, who played for the Rangers previously. Yeah, I mean, and, and those guys carve out, you know, 10-year pro careers in, in, in North America. Um, you know, sometimes they, they go over to Europe as well. But, um, you know, there's value in those guys. You know, every, every year you see someone like that going for a third or fourth round pick. You know, someone just looking to have that insurance policy. Uh, those guys have value because they, they fill a need. And, uh, you know, right now the Rangers... Ranger fans are probably seeing more of Pionk than they would like to. So that's a contributing factor. But um, in most cases, you know, when, you're, when your team's doing what it's supposed to be doing and you have a comp competitive team, you know, Pionk in most cases is, an, is a non-story. Yeah, I tend, to, I tend to agree with that. So are we um, firm believers that, I guess, based on everything that you've said and some information we've read, can we expect Jeff Gorton then to be extremely active um, you know, next week. Or in, I think I think he's going to try to be. I, I I think Jeff Gordon is going to. I think Jeff Gordon is 
you know, obviously I'm not in the room with them. You know, you hear little things uh, you know, as I, as I ask people, um, the Rangers are asking the questions. They're, they're keeping tabs on everything, looking to see what's going on. You know, right now, I definitely think, um, you know, they're finalizing, you know, the short list of guys where they think said guys are going to go and what the value of, of getting them is. Um, you know, we hear a lot about the center debates and you have centers who, depending on how one feels, they can go in the top 10, they could be sitting there at 20. The question for the Rangers is going to be, if you, if you don't want to wait till 20, how much is moving up worth you? And, and those are going to be the, the charts and things that they put together. I expect right. Gordon to be very involved in, in many conversations, exploring all options. I think if he could work his will, yes, he wants to be active. I think they're heading into this draft with, um, with four picks in the top 60. I think the, the Rangers would be perfectly, would love to have five or six picks in the top 60. And I think even from five or six, they would be perfectly comfortable walking away with, with just the three first round picks, but getting the guys they want. So they could have five, six picks in total. I think they'd walk away with half if they get the guys that they want. And I think that's what they want to do. That's interesting. Uh, so yeah, so lot, 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 lots of excitement then. Um, any, anything for you, Steve, before we uh, wrap this up? Um, not really. I, I just think it's a really exciting time to be a Ranger fan uh, in general. I mean, the last two years have been the, the build-up to this, but I think 2019 is going to be the pivotal moment in this Rangers rebuild. And I've heard people say that winning the draft lottery will accelerate the rebuild, but I, I'm still of the belief that winning that draft lottery was always going to be a necessary step in the rebuild. So if anything, it just solidifies the rebuild. It doesn't accelerate anything. And I think one accelerate is one of those words that, depending on who you talk to, it, it can have very different definitions. Um, I think the Rangers want to see progress. They want to see movement. I, I, I do think that there, some of the, the big trades that people are talking about, while those are on the table and the Rangers would consider them, I, I don't know if the Rangers are necessarily knocking on doors looking to move players in packages like that yet. I think they would consider it if, you know, the conversation goes a certain way and they like what they're hearing. I think their, their focus has continued to be on acquiring high-end young talent that we will have under contract at a reasonable price and that theoretically might be able to give us a turnaround in about a year. However they can accentuate that, in their roster, they will explore, but I don't think it's it's a situation where they're looking to acquire these players at any cost. Hmm. And some of the costs that I think fans think might be reasonable for the Rangers right now, I don't inherently know if the Rangers have the appetite at this point for them. A year from now, I think they could. I, I think right now, unless there's a deal that they really feel that they can't say no to, I don't think that would be their first choice is, is to, is to go down that mm-hmm. route. So uh, I, I, is, I would, I would, is it safe to say that there's no way they're going to offer sheet anybody? I would, let me put it to you. I would be, I would be surprised just based on the culture that the Rangers would offer sheet somebody. Um, you mean, you mean the league's culture, right? Well, league culture. And I, I will tell you, even within the organization, you know, uh, Glenn Sather was, was not a guy who was big on offer sheets. Um, some of his experiences, frankly, were shaped by uh, his experiences in the early 90s with Edmonton and, you know, when he used to go to an arbitrator and 
uh, you know, I, I think uh, he felt like he came out on the short end of the stick. So I think that is kind of permeated down into who the Rangers have tended to hire and the philosophies they've built over the years. Um, first, that's first of all, um, in the league in general, um, offer sheets are, they are, they are, they're unofficially frowned upon. You know, no one will ever come out and say it. Uh, people would deny it if, uh, if they felt like they were being asked on the record, it's somewhat frowned upon. Um, I know there's, People who say, well, you know, what's the harm in doing it? Like, if they don't deal with you, they're only hurting themselves. There's truth in that. But, you know, things like most things in any business, um, you know, there are prices that you pay, little premiums that you pay over time. Again, that no one will ever, ever admit to, but but they do exist. Um, so I, I don't I don't personally see any offer sheets coming. I don't see the Rangers putting an offer sheet out there where they're going to go and risk the first round picks that uh, they want to keep that momentum going with. So uh, I I just don't see a fit there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with the offer sheets, the other thing is unless the Rangers reacquire their pick from Carolina, the only offer sheet compensation they qualify for is the one with four first round picks. And if you look at how, what a turnaround it can be both forward and backwards in four years, I just don't think it's worth the risk. I mean, four years ago, the Rangers were in the Eastern Conference final, and this year they have the second overall pick. That's it's just too much of a risk, I think, to um, to offer sheet a player, even without the whole the fact that it's frowned upon. Even if that wasn't an issue, I just think it's too much of a risk to offer sheet a player, give up four first round picks in a row, where because you don't know where you're going to be in four years. Right. And for the Rangers, I, I really, I just don't see them doing, you know, the Rangers are smarting a little bit. Um, I don't think they would do it differently, but the Rangers are still smarting from the fact that they went four years without a first round pick. They feel that. They know that they feel that. Yeah, um, that makes sense to me. And you're just, you're not going to convince me that someone's going to go to them and say, hey, well, yeah, this player's great, so let's get rid of the next four first round picks for them. <laughs> I, I don't see it happening. And, and that will be four first-round picks for just one player. In our case, at least, we got Nash, St. Louis, and Yandel for it, for the first-round picks in total. Exactly. Four first-round picks in total. So, so could, could you ever see a scenario, then, where the Rangers try to make a trade for, let, let's say, you know, a, a team that's uh, maybe approaching a cap crunch and they need to move an, a, a player like, um, for example, Toronto with, you know, a Nylander-Marner situation or maybe even... Uh, Tampa Bay with with point or something. I mean, where a, a team is saying, okay, we can't afford to keep every one of these stars that we've drafted, so we might need to move someone for some depth somewhere. Right. I I definitely think the Rangers are taking a look at that. Um, that's always that's always going to be on their radar. Um, I would say one of the possibilities that you have as well is uh, I think. You know, as we talked about earlier, some of their contracts, maybe a Shattenkirk, if they can find a match for you know for swapping that. I definitely think someone like Nylander is uh, is someone who, if the right opportunity came along, they would pursue it. I don't know if they're there this year. Um, you know, so in, t- in terms of people thinking about that for the 2019-20 season, I, I don't. I think the Rangers, deep down, do want to kind of have an idea of, of what they have and don't have, and. Well, that's my personal preference. I, I think that kind of mm. strategy 
is going to be inherent to them. They, they don't fully know what they have. If this, in some cases, they haven't seen these kids play in the AHL or NHL or against NHL, you know, more consistent NHL competition. Um, I would say this time next year, 2020, I definitely think you're going to hear those conversations a lot louder um, as the Rangers are in there and they kind of know what they have or don't have um, and, and are going to want to take that next step. So this year... I'd be surprised if if there's any fire to uh, you know to the smoke, but 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 next year I definitely think those things are going to be on the table, full force. Interesting. Um, yeah, Greg, do you have any more questions? Because I I want to end it with one final question. Um, yeah, I have I have one I have one last question, and that's that. Um, so I want you to make uh, one or two bold predictions that are going to happen this offseason for the Rangers. Uh, well, I don't know if you'd consider it. I think Chris Kreider uh, has played his last game for the New York Rangers. I think um, I think the I think I think the Rangers are not going to get Panarin, but I definitely think they're going to be in the mix for Truba. Um, I think. Probably the last one is uh, some of your breakout players next year. I think I think Brett Howden is going to have a great year for you. I think uh, Heedle is going to see a lot of time on the wings. And I think the Rangers are probably going to come away from somebody in the 2019 draft that the fans initially are resistant to. Uh, but this time next year, absolutely love. Mm. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll be happy with that because that will be Croft's off all over again. Yeah, and and I, I think I think they're not they can't screw up the second pick. I think let's for argument's sake say the Rangers end up with the 14th pick in the draft, and whether they pick there or they move up a little bit to get their guy, I, I would not be the least bit surprised if that is where you see the arguments over the next 12 months based on that pick. Not even a third first-round pick. It's, it's going to be that second one there. That, the, one, the one in the middle. The one in the middle that I think people would say, oh, we didn't get the upside we wanted or, yeah. or some of these other things. All right. Uh, I have two more questions before we, uh, before we end this and, uh, and leave. Um, you, told me, uh, you told us about how you became a Rangers fan, of course, but who was your favorite player growing up? My, my first favorite player as, as a kid was, was Ron Greshner, uh, was, was the first one who stood out. Mm. For whatever reason, probably when I was about, a, I think probably about 11 or 12, somewhere in there, okay. Chris King became my, my favorite Ranger for a number of years. I just, I just loved Chris King. And then uh, back, in, back in the day for old school video game fans, NHLPA 93, you couldn't change the, the line. So when you played with line changes on the you know, there were set lines that that guys were on and Chris King was the Rangers first line left wing in that game so that that was just heaven for me so he was one of them but you know other favorites over the years Adam Graves uh you know is is, is a personal favorite and, and having worked with Adam yeah. uh he he is as, he's as good and better than than the stories you hear um you know I, I'm always in the pro Adam Graves camp when it comes to the you know the Jersey retirement uh debates um, Mark Messier, I, I thought was probably the most transformative Ranger that I've seen in my lifetime. If, if not necessarily the most important, he was the one who was the catalyst for everything else falling in line. So, so those names stand out. And I think, 
Uh, you, know, you can't have a conversation if you've been a fan over the last you know, 30 years without having Henrik Lundqvist in there as well. <clears throat> All right. And Greg, how about you? Um, let's see. Favorite Rangers. No, your favorite growing up as a kid. Who was your, who was that, that, that one player that you just loved? Oh, Brian Leach. All right. Uh, I mean, that, 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 I mean, um, yeah, Brian Leach. I was also, I was also a really big, uh, I, I, I love defensemen, so I was a big uh, Leech, uh, Leech and uh, Zuboff kind of guy, but and I was pissed yeah. off when we traded Zuboff. I think Leech Zuboff is the best Rangers pairing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I, you have no idea how pissed off I, has, I, I was when yeah. we traded Zuboff. Uh, the Zuboff what, trade. You know, just out of curiosity, what, was the, what the fuck were the Rangers thinking when they traded him? Um, I, I, I was upset about the trade, but more so because of Nedved, because he was my, he was my favorite player as a kid. So... Speaking from stories from the time, so you know, here's, some, here's some interesting background stories from that time. Um, you know, the, the Zuboff trade a lot of times get, gets pinned on Messier. It, it, it wasn't a Messier trade. It, he wasn't crazy about Nedved, um, but he, the, the reports of him despising Nedved were, were significantly overblown. Um, I think for him it was Nedved maturing a little bit and that's why Nedved's second stint with the Rangers, they coexisted just fine. Nedved matured a lot as a person in that time. Um, but the Zuboff trade was not a, was not a Messier product. Um, frankly, uh, Zuboff, for as talented as he was, at that time, uh, you know, was, not in the, you know, was not in the best shape behind the scenes. Um, uh, he was a, a chain smoker. His conditioning was called into question. There were a number of incidents where um you know there, there were some questions as to whether or not he was as banged up as he claimed he was or it was kind of dogging a little bit and so um that that tended to 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 rub coaches management teammates a little bit the wrong way and one of the things that's kind of forgotten when people talk about Zuboff, an, an immensely talented player um but this is a player who went to pittsburgh had a lot of the same problems there and was shipped off a year later as well. After about his first year or two years in Dallas, he was almost shipped off you know, a third time. You know, mm -hmm. so you know, it wasn't that you know, he was traded from the Rangers and, and magically everything came yeah. together. The talent was always there. Uh, it was the conditioning, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that, that took a little bit longer to develop. So that was, that was the main catalyst there. And in the Rangers' case, uh, you know, going back to, to 95, I mean, Luke Robitaille was 29. So, you know, this was not an, an aging veteran. This is a guy who was consistently popping in 40 goals, you know, for the previous 10 years. So that was expected to continue. He was expected to pop in 40. And I think Samuel Sin at, you know, was only 31 at the time. And so I think there, there was some feeling that, look, if we're definitely trading the future, but if we can get two or three years of a semi close to, you know, his, his, his upside uh, of Samuel Sin and, yep. you know, Three or four uh, years of 40 goals from Robitaille will take it. The uh, yeah, dreaded I still, I still think it was a horrible trade. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, his, I mean, there's no denying throughout history the trade did not work out for the Rangers. Um, what's interesting to look at is contemporary accounts of it at the time were, were much, much more in favor of the Rangers, thinking that, yes, you know, it, it was worth the sacrifice in some of these things. Zuboff, though talented, was was injury prone and, uh, you know, Nedved just wasn't going to work in New York. So the contemporary 
you know, analysis at the time was, hey, you know, win Rangers. Obviously, we now, you know, 23 years later, uh, you know, quite the opposite. I would have loved to see. So I, had, I would have loved to have seen social media back then with uh, the trades and the signings and that, 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 that would be that, that always fascinates me. You know, um, you know with, with social media, it, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. But you know, it would have been interesting to see those really early 90 Ranger moves, you know, the Mark Messier trade. Um, I can tell you, even even in, you know, in, in social circles at that time, you know, the, Adam Graves or Troy Millette was, was not necessarily a beloved move when it first happened, when Millette was named as the compensation for, for Adam Graves. You know, Millette was bigger, younger. Yeah. Um, you know, Graves had widely been seen as a guy who just couldn't translate the offense at the NHL level. And, you know, certainly, you know, quite the opposite on that. So there's also a lesson there. You know, for as much as we know and as much as we have access to in 2019, um, you know, hot, hot takes usually don't uh, don't age very well. Yeah. All right. One final question then for uh, for for both of you. Um, assuming the Rangers don't trade up and they, they and their their second pick in the first round is 20th overall, who is the player that you absolutely absolutely would love to see? Uh, call up on stage at 20? Um, I mean, a pipe dream would be Newhook. I'd love for him to somehow be sitting there at 20, but I think after the last few months, I, I don't see that as a possibility. You think he's um, gone by 20? I, I, I'd say a 90% chance he's gone by 20. 90 to 95% chance. Um, and that scenario, I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd be happy with York. I'd love to have York in that scenario, um, I think he gives an element to that left side. Yes, we have left-handed shooting defensemen. I don't know if we quite have someone who who brings what what, what Cam York potentially brings. Uh, and then uh, you know, Darfiev is uh, you know another one who uh, I, I would I would consider there. Um, you know, as I do my best to pronounce it, how it would be pronounced in Russian, not uh, anglicize it, but. Uh, yeah, he's another one who I think I, I would love to love to see at twenty. Um, my dream scenario, I'd love for them to trade off. I I, I would do backflips and put myself in the hospital with uh, you know Kako uh, Zegers. Kako Zegers. How about you, Greg? Uh, he, you kind of stole my thunder. Is, is I want Trevor Zegers bad. So uh, anything I can do to move him twenty to to snatch Trevor Zegers, I'm all Trevor Zegers, I'm all about. But having said that, say that's say that's a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. Um, I'm not going to say Dorfeyev because that's your guy, uh, Steve. I'm not even going to, I'll just let you keep him at this point. I don't even care. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, let's see. I, I, I'd like Bobby Brink at 20. That would be nice. Um, that would be a nice pick at 20. Um, maybe an interesting one is people keep passing on Cole Caulfield because of his size and he just drops the 20 and, you know, he becomes, um, you know, he becomes like another, you know, undersized player that's able to put up 70, 80 points. That would be kind of nice. Um, I'll tell you one guy that I think actually it'd be wild. I know we haven't talked about him. Is that guy is the guy who for a while was kind of pegged at number three is uh Pat Colson. Is it possible that, that he's fallen this far and he's there at 20? Uh, I would be surprised if he's sitting there at 20, you know, it, it's, it's funny to see over the course of the last six months, um, there was a time period where 
if you're picking third, he was going to be the guy who was going to give you nightmares. Um, because based on pure skill, pure ability, not application of said skill or results, he, he's right in that top three. I mean, th- this should be a three. This should be a three-man draft in terms of having three guys who have reasonably assured odds of of being you know elite franchise level players. Mm. Um, it hasn't materialized for him, and so. Whereas he became the guy who gives you a nightmare about not taking it three. Now he becomes the guy who gives you the nightmare if you don't take him at six or seven. Um, I think he's going to be the guy who gives you a nightmare if you don't take him at 10. Um, in terms of how far he can fall, I don't see him fall. If he falls out of the top 10, it's not by much because at that point, you're comparing him to some of his contemporaries and you're saying, I have to, I have to take this swing. Uh, because even if he even if he busts, uh, you know, most people are gonna kind of say it, it was worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. It's, yeah, I I totally get it. I mean, if he's if he's sitting there at twelve or thirteen, the team has to take him because it's like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna pass on him, and it turns out he turns out to be an absolute stud who figures it out. I mean, yeah. um, and 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 he, I will tell you, I mean, at least in the week shaping up, he is shaping up to be one of the more divisive prospects in this draft i will tell you that most scouts are still incredibly high on him even with some of the the results that we have most people will tell you most most scouts will have him in in their top 10 um most observers people who are fans people covering the sports they have him lower on their list than most scouts so there's there's a very clear disconnect there on that player. And it's going to be very interesting to see which one ultimately wins out on draft day and, and which one ultimately wins out o- over the long haul. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's the thing with Pot Colson. It's, it's, uh, it's, he's really hit or miss. And we probably need a good two, three, maybe even four or five years to, to see how good he really is. But the question marks surrounding him are, that the sample size for his great games are just not big enough to warrant him going third or fourth overall. I mean, is, is, he, is he basically like this year's like Ryan Merkley? Um, I, I don't, I don't, from a scout standpoint, no, I don't think so. I mean, Ryan Merkley, there, there were teams who were not going to touch him last year. If he was, Sitting there in the second round, there are teams who were not going to touch him. There were teams who, if they were going to touch him, it would just be for the hope that maybe enough of the talent wins out that they move him. There, there were teams that wanted nothing to do with Merkley. Um, that was how much he upset, you know, quote unquote, the establishment of, you know, uh, hockey etiquette, so to speak. Um, with regards to Put Colson. One of the things that you see is everyone loves the skill. Um, where, the, where the concern is for people who aren't as high on him is whether or not, whether or not the offense translates. Because it's, it's over multiple leagues where you're seeing, you're finding excuses as to why he didn't perform at the level you thought he would. And that usually is a pretty good indication that something's not working out. But I, I think for him... It's not a character issue. It's whether or not you're looking at a prospect who probably would have fit right at home in the, in, you know, the mid-90s in terms of a European prospect who 
They just don't know where the offense is going to translate. If it translates, you know, he's, he's a top line elite player. If not, he's a very good, you know, third line guy who plays a surprisingly complete game for, uh, you know, for, for what he's billed as. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, this, this is going to be after, after Wednesday when Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final is, 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 has been played. We have another eight, nine days to go. And I, I'm curious to see how much is going to happen because the buyout uh, window opens, I, I think, on Sunday, on the 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to see what's going to happen in the lead-up to the draft. How many trades are going to take place, if any? Um, how many trades are going to take place on draft day? It's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting month. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am as well, and I, I think uh, you know, I think the Rangers are going to be aggressively pursuing different options, and you know, it would certainly be exciting if uh, you know if some of them come to fruition. Yeah. All right. Great. It was uh, it was great having you on, Greg. Do you have anything to add? No, I think we're good. I think we're I think we've we've definitely maxed out our time here. So let's yes. just wrap it up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, um, I'll to speak to you in the next one, Greg and uh, Edge. I'll uh, talk to you online. All right. So. All right. Perfect. All right. Bye. All right, thanks, guys.